This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by John, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash How To Wrestling. Hey, if you enjoy the show and you enjoy being ad-free and fan-supported, why not consider heading over to our Patreon page, becoming a lovely $5 backer, and getting access to a whole load of extra content since 2015 or thereabouts. Joe and I have been reviewing every single WWE and now AEW pay-per-view. All of those reviews, is over 100 now, are available if you become a backer. As well as that, get access to our whole raft of songs series and extra ventures including random bonus content but besides that you've got the likes of how to revisited where we go back and check out how the story has changed since we recorded episodes on certain wrestlers and our new favorite series it's pay-per-view classic you can go and listen to joe and i go in-depth big pay-per-view reviews on the likes of wrestlemania 17 in your house good friends better enemies most recently king of the ring 94 where joe and i finally found out how much this guy weighs all this and more available on our patreon page but for now settle in and enjoy a glass of red wine perhaps with big sexy daddy cool himself it's time for how to kevin nash friends and welcome to another episode of how to wrestling the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling how to get into wrestling how to understand wrestling and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling and oh boy time to get in the big rig today it's time for us to chat about one of the coolest cats in the history of professional wrestling today's episode is all about big sexy kevin nash aka diesel it's me your old pal kevin joined as i am always with the ever inquisitive Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm quite well, thank you. How are you? Um, really excited. I'm not yeah. gonna lie. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like one of the most interesting characters in wrestling, and I don't mean like as in a character that is portrayed, as in this guy is a character. Yeah. In real life. Yeah. And I think me and a lot of listeners really, really, really want to see what you make of Kevin Nash. Some would stoop to call him a piece of work. Other people will say that he's one of the greatest minds and most cerebral fellows ever in wrestling. Who is this man? What do you know about Kevin Nash before we we settled into our research for this episode? I didn't know much about Kevin Nash, especially until like, I feel I first came across Kevin Nash really when we watched Magic Mike. <laughs> Sorry, actually, when you most took notice of him, I'm thinking. Well, <laughs> I don't know when else I really would have come across him. I mean, the Scott Hall episode, I'm sure yeah. he popped up there. Yeah, he was there, but then so were all the other ones, like Shawn Michaels and Triple H and X-Pac and all them. So you just kind of knew him as a, a click guy, basically, part of this group of wrestlers that kind of ran things a little bit in the WWF in the 90s. I knew him as the big click guy. Big click guy. The biggest one. But I, is that because there's big clicks every time he stands up or big click guy? <laughs> no, I mean, he's in. he was in the click and he's a very large man. He's like nearly seven foot tall. And what was it about... <laughs> What was it about seeing him in Magic Mike that then kind of put him at the forefront of your mind? What was it about? Was it the performance? Was it just who he was as a person? What was it? Well, it was interesting watching it with you. Because you basically revealed, you were like, oh, he's playing himself. (laughs) Because like in Magic Mike, he plays a stripper and 
it's great because he doesn't really try. He's just like, he literally just takes his clothes off and kind of thrusts his hips a little bit. Right. But like, there's no effort going. Like, you normally, when you think of like, especially male strippers, you think of a lot of work and effort and like energy that goes into a routine. Yeah, right. And, I mean, um, not to draw too many parallels to the world of wrestling, but to dance as well. I mean, there's a lot more yeah. work that goes into it than the lay folk might think, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like professional wrestling is more about like understating stuff, like downplaying things that have happened. Mm. Whereas dancing is like the other way around. Like, you've got to over-exaggerate. Okay. Anyway, it was just funny seeing him just kind of like, kind of lazily strip. So it was you seeing me react to the kind of similarities almost between yeah. that character and the real life persona, at least as I had kind of ascertained of, well, of being Kevin Nash. I had heard, like one of the only things I had heard about big sexy daddy called Kevin Nash Diesel. <laughs> Have I got I, all his names? I think you got most of them there, yeah. It's The only thing I knew about him was that he was like, um, kind of lazy. Like he didn't, he doesn't really work hard. <laughs> okay. I'm like, here's a question. Like, and and it extends to both the world of 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 high end stripping, yeah, and also for for wrestling. If you're lazy and as you say, you're not even really trying. And by the way, I'm not I'm not damning Kevin Nash with this this verdict. This is just kind of the first impressions that Joe had. But if you are kind of lower energy or not trying as much and all that, surely that means you're going to do you know less business. You're not going to be as popular. People aren't going to be uh, drawn to you. What what is there an overcompensation in other aspects then? I mean, he's very big. Very big? Very sexy. Is it, what What makes him, is it just, that, I mean, there's lots of big people in wrestling. I'd say there's lots of sexy people in wrestling. Yeah. Has he got anything else going for him in that sense? He's, um, he's very charismatic. Right. He's a cool character. Cool. Yeah, uh, Big Daddy Cool, he's, he's called that for a reason. Like, he's, he's very chill. All right, because I was going to kind of maybe try and tease that apart a little bit because... I don't know if we've talked very often about wrestlers who we think are really cool on this podcast. Mm. I, very often, I don't think that kind of comes through. No, I'm trying to think of a single wrestler we've covered who we were like, yeah, they're cool. I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of modern people like, okay, they're cool. You know, I'm sure there's some. There? There's got to be at least one cool wrestler. Well, I'm not sure. Manami Toyota's cool, right? Yeah. <laughs> but Kevin Nash's coolness, I mean... Very rarely someone who actually includes the word cool in their moniker yeah. would actually be considered cool. But I would argue that he's a very cool customer indeed. Mm. What what does it mean to be cool if you're Kevin Nash? How do you mean? As in, like, does he give off that, that air and what, what does it actually, like, translate? Do you, like, view him as a cool individual? It's hard to say because, like, obviously, as I said, I hadn't really seen really anything about of him i mean mm. he's very cool in magic mike he plays as you said like himself yeah and he's just like very laid back in it and very charismatic and kind of like quite funny people like get on with him right yeah yeah and he's just like quite a magnetic person it seems and it wasn't until like i saw we started watching a few shoot interviews mm. and I saw a bit of that shining through. Now, not a lot, because I feel like Kevin Nash's shoot interviews are very diverse on the spectrum of cool and not cool. I was going to say, like, because we went from kind of, you know, seeing that movie to like kind of deciding, right, that's going to be the next episode. We started kind of, you know, getting in some of the tweets and doing some of the kind of extra watching and all that. But we were really onto that shoot interview train mm. quite early on. Yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen you change your mind on someone 
and then change it back mm. and then kind of arrive at this kind of almost no man's land of I feel that you think that he's both one of the, the coolest people in wrestling and also one of the lamest people in wrestling, depending <laughs> on what clip I've shown you, what given time. <laughs> I don't think he's like lame, yeah. like uncool or whatever. Like he is definitely like universally considered cool. Okay. I think that is yeah. just a fact of him. He is very cool. He, I think because he just doesn't seem to take things seriously mm. and because he... Probably partly due to his size, but not entirely down to that. It's like he takes his time talking and moving. He's very deliberate. He's not a shouter like Jake Roberts, isn't he? Not a shouter, yeah. yeah. He's just like laid back, cool guy. He just seems like the type of person that you would, you know, if you met him somewhere, you'd probably have a good chat for, you know, 10 minutes or so. Yeah. An interesting right. person. Kevin Nash feels like the ideal person to be on a plane with or mm. on, on a, one of those nice lounges if you're waiting for a ferry or something like that. You yeah, chat I, with Kevin Nash for 10 minutes, you have a good time. I wouldn't want to be next to him on a plane because inevitably he would be in the aisle seat and I would need to pee and then I'd have to like ask him to get up every 10 minutes. Oh yeah, and also as well, I don't want to be on a plane with someone who's like taller than me i'm already going to be taking up a lot of space yeah god you'd have no leg room no absolutely not so trying to get to grips with kevin nash and trying to guide joe down the winding path of his various chats opinions countless appearances in many many different guises across many different companies proved to be a little bit more challenging than i thought because I did know that there was a documentary that WWE had produced about him, which was called Kevin Nash Too Sweet, the, the inside story of the click or whatever it was. Mm. And my God, I was beyond shocked that WWE managed to produce a documentary so plain and pedestrian and normal about someone who I really think is pretty damn unique in wrestling in terms of both mindset and their career and all that. I didn't have a very good time watching this documentary. Not only was it very plain, but also very confusing. They kept jumping around. Yeah. When I took my notes, because like, I always take notes for these documentary bits, and the way it was jumping around, I was very confused as to like when in his career he like met Scott Hall. Right, yeah. Because it kind of made out as though he met Scott before he met Sean, and mm. then like he did Oz before, like after the click, and it was just like... The jumping around. They're all jumbled. And like, yeah. they didn't seem like it was all just about him, really. It was kind of like mostly about his friendship with Scott and like Scott's demons and stuff. And it's like, okay, I already know about that. Yeah, though. right. Like, we all talk about Scott Hall's personal demons a lot. So, kind of almost like we, we'll be using this still as kind of like. In some respects, like a bit of a fishbone, but we'll be taking out a lot of the bones and moving them around the yeah. skeleton and hopefully trying to, to make sense of it. Because I feel there is a lot more to this man's career. It's not just a case of like, oh, that's all very controversial and all of that. I just feel like that, I don't know, maybe they didn't want you to see this other side of uh, of big sexy Kevin Nash. Maybe, and maybe it's also the fact that like, you know, members of the clique, as far as they go, he's like the least interesting and i'm doing that in inverted oh, commas he's doing those right into the mic there because <laughs> like obviously sean michaels he's sean michaels yeah. he is he's the star mm. of the click and then you've got triple h you know he's like the you know the next owner of the wwe potentially at this point and, uh, well, <laughs> we'll see and then you've got scott hall who's obviously like super hunk but with like terrible drug addiction problems and like you know criminal history and things yeah you know, and of course like x-pack as well like yeah. the, the small boy who the again, richard hammond of the group like. lots and lots of drug problems and you know issues of his own in his personal life so i feel like just through association kevin nash is like the least 
controversial out of those people. Yeah, I've, I've, I get that. Like the kind of the, you know, the, the, the seeming lack of controversy kind of as yeah. it relates to personal problems and all that. And I think especially when like the main thing people have to say about him is like, oh, he's kind of lazy. And it's like, well, why would we talk about this lazy guy when we could talk about Scott Hall's demons? And did that shock you kind of as we were going through the documentary? Like you knew that he was associated a lot with, with Scott and a lot of people who, you know, through episodes and, and other appearances and mm. whatnot, you, you know that there's a lot of kind of drug usage. I'm pretty sure... When I've talked about you know the, the casual rampant drug use in in wrestling in the early nineties, I've thrown his name in there as well. Yeah. Did it surprise you that he was not someone who was beleaguered with a lot of like personal demons, to use that WWE term? I mean, I guess so, just because the other members of the clique have suffered so badly. Mm. Like they've come out the other side, and you know Triple H, obviously he's he's always been sober. So he wasn't affected by it. But like literally every single other member, you know, Shawn Michaels, X-Pac and Scott Hall, they have all come out the other side, like just permanently damaged. Yeah. Like there's there's irreparable harm that's been done to them personally and professionally through their exceptional drug use. Yeah, like just yeah. the, the amount is obscene. So it, it surprised me a bit because I knew that Kevin Nash was just as much of a partier as yeah. the rest of them. So I thought, well, you know, maybe he would be as hard done by. But it doesn't surprise me in that, you know, I know that drugs and alcohol and addiction affect people very differently. Yeah, I like I've kind of, you know, for over on the Atchier podcast, Adam has been doing the uh, William Regal autobiography. And obviously we did an episode of William Regal here, but kind of hearing firsthand kind of an addict's account of addiction and their understanding of it. It kind of has almost changed my perception on him with the idea that like here's a fixed quantity of like narcotics and this will fuck everyone up or change their life irreparably in the Mm. same way and it's absolutely not the case like you know tolerance and attitudes and all that and like nash something that always struck me and i will say right now i am a recovering kevin nash shoot interview addict Uh, i used to spend countless hours thousands of hours it feels like watching this guy talk shit for varying paydays and varying amounts of ravioli but one thing he always said it was one thing he said that stood with me a long long time and i'll be lying if it said it didn't like strike me like i heard this when i was in my very early 20s Mm. and someone asked him kind of about like you know drug use or whatever and they were asking about like you know cocaine and stuff like that and he goes well you know my dad was a tall guy died of a heart attack when he was 45 years old i was eight you don't see too many 70-year-old giants walking around, so I've always had to look after myself. And I was like, oh shit, I'm not a giant, I'm tall. But like, just him very plainly saying kind of, I'm a big tall guy. Mm. I am aware that I'm predisposed to probably having more heart issues than the average guy. But- so he's always kind of, even though he did a lot of like, you know, of, of muscle relaxants and yeah, he smoked which- a lot of pot and drank a lot of beer. I mean, I don't know about pot, but like alcohol and muscle relaxants, neither of them are good for your organs. And I don't think they're good for your heart either. So like, what's the deal there? I think it's like literally that he wouldn't do things like cocaine stimulants. and speed and stimulants or like the big, you know, doses of oxy. Like this guy wouldn't be going on, you know, these GHB blackouts and stuff like that. Right. Whereas the others would? Yes. And I think what it was, was that Nash was a lot more of a conscientious um, partaker, let's Mm. just say. So even though his drug use would probably be outstanding compared to others, or you probably would be shocked to hear it, he was always very conscious. And I think... 
like I can't imagine what it's like if you're eight years old and your dad dies mm. you know how early on that must affect you and kind of he seems to have a little bit of that bon vivore attitude towards life like squeeze every drop out of it and yeah. you can't but think that kind of influences a little bit mm. uh, were you surprised to know about kind of his, his background his sports background and I what was about? so he apparently played basketball yeah. in school yeah he, he got himself onto a college basketball team the Tennessee 49ers which like you were like, why are you surprised? He's really tall. Of course he plays basketball. <laughs> and the reason I'm surprised is because, as Kevin recently learned, I used to play basketball. Oh yeah, you did. I, we went to went to Blackpool Pleasure Beach for my birthday. Oh god, I was waiting for this. Yes, I'm so proud. <laughs> I want to show off my amazing girlfriend who's the fucking basketball queen of Blackpool. We were literally, we had been told like the day before by our friends that like, oh, and they use these like oval hoops and stuff. So it's like impossible to score properly on those basketball things and you were like well let's just give it a go and I was like fine I'll give it a go and I scored like I don't know how many hoops in 30 seconds but a lot and I was very happy infinite baskets pretty yeah. much so the reason I say that is because in basketball you have to have a lot of energy you have to try really hard it requires a huge amount of effort <laughs> Like, you can't phone it in. There are lots of sports where you can. Like, yeah. Especially team-based sports, depending on your position. It's worth me pointing out as well, Joe found out this about Nash after she had watched several of his wrestling matches. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, I am surprised because, like, it, it's a huge amount of work yeah. and it requires a huge amount of training as well. And not and a lot of money as well. No, you know? it's so competitive. Particularly at the, the level that he was at. Yeah. yeah. So, just to me, it seemed like, like out of line with his values. Like, he'd <laughs> have to try to uh, the thing i had heard about kevin ash was that he believed in working smart not hard and basketball is about working hard not smart yeah so right i don't understand why you would go in that career when it's like you're literally competing with people who have to get up at three in the morning to just to throw hoops for five hours and that's all they do yeah and i think like I would always assume, like not knowing much about his 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 skill level or, or his you know not followed his basketball career very very closely, but I would imagine, particularly in Tennessee as well, the fact that he was nearly seven foot, yeah. like you know, physical specimen. You know, I I knew lads when in school. I went to a rugby school. There was a guy I knew, and he was seven foot. And honestly, he couldn't have cared less about about rugby. Just didn't really give two shits one way or the other. Yeah. Like, he was a really nice guy. He was really good. Got on with his teammates and all that. Yeah. Yeah, he'll go to practice and all that. But he's not going to be you know, getting up at five in the morning to run laps and all this stuff. Anyway, but I feel like... But he, he's, he's, he plays rugby for Ireland now. But because... I feel like rugby <laughs> is one of those sports where you can get away with yeah. like, that a bit if you are a big guy because so much of it is about your weight. But everyone in basketball is tall, right? But like, that's it. Like, like, nearly everyone in basketball is tall. But everyone in basketball is trying really hard a hundred percent of the time because like of the rules of basketball you have to like dribble and run at the same time to move across the court like you're constantly jumping you're it's just so much effort i don't understand why he'd want to do it so he does end up going from his basketball scholarship in tennessee and this guy as well by the way university you know far from being just you know, some kind of jock who showed up he did his degree in like a psychology, I believe it was, was yeah. his, uh, his minor. And he did like a educational research and stuff like that as well. Like huh. genuinely like kind of, you know, a, an impressive resume in terms of his academics and all that. And he goes from university off to playing basketball in Germany. 
And this is like early 80s, like like between like kind of 1979 and 1981 is when he was actively playing basketball. So like what, would he have been like scouted or something or just decided, ah, I want to go live in Germany for a bit? I think it would have been would kind of a combination of both. I kind of make mm. a decision to make a move there. And I would figure and it's like you go to, to Germany to do that because he didn't reckon he was at the skill level or at the kind of notoriety to get drafted and become professional over there. Right. And, you know, he's talked about it on interviews and stuff like that. Like it was just kind of, you know, I made a bit of money. It was all right. But I don't think it was his passion. It certainly wasn't like something that was very, you know, long term from. He did get like an injury as well to his knee early on. He tore his ACL, which kind of ended the, the career and all that. And it's kind of funny to think that you could like, you know, be taken out of basketball and say, right, you can't jump, you can't like kind of, you know, land on your two feet off a mm. distance anymore. That's out of action for you. But like wrestling will be fine still. Oh, no, that's so weird, isn't it? But like, that, yeah. that says a lot about like sports like basketball, how much work was required. So it's worth kind of pointing out like Nash kind of long before he was in wrestling, he already was working with a severely fucked up name. Yeah. Like, you know, and I think as well, something I've always been quite scared of again. And again, I know his name is Kevin and he's over six foot four, but like, mm. you know, I won't try and draw too many parallels with myself. But the idea of having anything wrong with my knee or, like, my foot or my leg is, again, like, one of those things that's, I think, extra terrifying if you're on the taller side. Yeah. Because the world isn't built for people who are over a certain height. Mm. And if I feel that at the little height I am, I can't imagine what it's like if you're Kevin Nash. Well, also, I think falling over is horrible for anyone. But it's actually, it is way, way worse if you're tall because you're heavier and also you've got further to fall. So it is, it's more dangerous the taller you are. So Nash leaves the world of basketball and finds himself enlisted then in the army. So how does that happen? I have no genuine idea. I've heard him talk about this like it was basically a really easy summer job, it feels like. Because in Germany, after the war, they had loads of American army bases that were set up. They're still there to this day, a lot of them. I remember where I was, when I went my exchange, I was in Stuttgart. There was a big army base Mm. out there. I think uh, Buffalo Soldiers, a movie with Joachim Phoenix. It's kind of about, you know, being stationed there in the 80s. And you have like a lot of kind of, you know, guys who've went through military training who are then just kind of, you know, twiddling their Bumming thumbs. around in Germany, yeah. Nothing to kill but time, as they say. And at Nash, I believe his job was that he was a guard. He was with military police mm-hmm. and he worked on a radar station. Wow. Which I can't imagine there was too much action that he saw no, there. that seems more on his level. Yeah, and I think like after suffering an injury and ending your basketball career, that was very much the definition of putting his feet up. Yeah, rest a bit. (laughs) So I have a quick question about this then. Does that mean Kevin Nash speaks German? He he popped out a few words in a shoot I've watched, but I don't think he's got any sort of affluency. Oh, okay. But I will say, like, this kind of all this comes together. I think sometimes people kind of think it's a front because I think in wrestling when there's a lot of kind of like people who aren't very like world traveled or anything like that, and they were kind of like they screw up wanting to be a wrestler and then they got into wrestling training right out of school and then became a wrestler. Yeah. And their world is kind of small. Yeah. Nash is probably a bit more world-travelled when mm. he got into wrestling. You know, he'd been in professional sports. He'd been in the army. Yeah. He'd been kind of around the block a little bit. Mm. So I do think he genuinely was a little bit more kind of worldly and more world-travelled than a lot of his, his peers and all that. Mm. But I think... In particularly in the click, I think he kind of used that to his advantage. I think a lot of folks maybe thought that he was a lot smarter and a lot more world-traveled than right. he actually was, yeah. necessarily. And, like, the career trajectory ain't so hot when you go from being, like, college scholarship, 
okay, you're doing pro basketball in Germany and now you've had an injury, now you're going to be in a military police and now you've left the army and now you're going to go and be a floor manager for a strip club in Atlanta. How was he qualified to do that? Big dudes. Had seen seen a bit of action. Former military guy. That I can understand. Military police. Oh, brother. I can understand that meaning you're qualified to be a bouncer. How does that make you qualified to be a floor manager? I honestly, I think if you're... a strip club. Can you imagine how hard that is? But I mean, yeah, I would That is actually quite impressive. Because I always heard like, oh, he was just a, you know, a big piece of muscle at a strip bar. But like, if you're actually the floor manager, that's a lot of that's a lot of work there. I mean, we, Silvio Dante yeah, will tell you. Like, I was just you know? gonna say, like, yeah, there's a lot of management involved there. It's a lot of politicking. A lot of politics, management of people, contract in, negotiations, contract negotiations, money. You know, you know, networking, deal, networking, deal with contracts and all that. Emotional activities, marketing. That's probably shit tons. Again, we had another uh, person on this podcast who had a similar background. Yeah, DDP. DDP, and we know that served him very, very. Well, in it the world does. Of wrestling. There's definitely big crossover between, like, not just stripping, I'd say, but any kind of like management, like, uh, yeah. like anything on the cusp of like sex work and performance art. I yeah. think is is very similar to wrestling, like in terms of artistically. So literally, and this is like it's so funny because I'm coming to you know, all this kind of like, and then he was, you know, he was in Germany working, in, you know, as a military. All this like really kind of like, oh, not the typical wrestler story. Yeah. But let's get us to this point of the typical wrestler story where a couple of wrestlers wander into a strip club yeah. and go, look at the big man over there. You know, he literally said like apparently like they rang up the trainer. Like, yeah, we got one. Yeah. You know. <laughs> big lad here. Yes, please. The idea of like the modern day equivalent being like William Regal going around to strip bars and like scouting talent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, never mind your NCAA tournaments. You want to be heading yeah. down to the clubs. Like, I mean, in fairness, when's the last time, like other than Damien Priest, we haven't had many bouncers make their way into the world of wrestling. Yeah. Like, used to be a pipeline. That was where most of our top stars came from, for Christ's sake. That'll be NXT 2.0, I guarantee it. <laughs> so... He gets into the world of wrestling. Did you remember what his first gimmick was called? He was in a tag team. Oh, I can't remember. They had a really bad name. I just remember that he had a mohawk and it, it was, was really bad. He looked like he was in Predator. I really, really actually am embarrassed. I can't remember if it's the Blaster Masters or the Master Blasters. But I think it's the Blaster Masters. Yeah. He was in the Blaster Masters. He was a master blaster in the Blaster Masters. Okay. But he was the master of blasting, basically. Right. Big tall dude, you know, pop him in a tag team with someone who's a little bit more experienced. How would you describe the look? He's got a mohawk. What else has he got going from here? The the master blasters. They've leaned into the army stuff. He's got like army camo face paint stuff on him. He just looks dirty. He does look kind of, he looks like a chimney sweep. (laughs) Like one of those lads is going to show up and fuck up the house at the end of Mary Poppins. Yeah. Or he's like been thrown to the ringside area in the ECW Ugh. arena. He's got a little bit of dust on. He kind of looks like a, a baddie from Fist of the North Star mm. or, or or like uh, um, or Mad Max or something like that. Yes. Yeah. A little bit of that. I feel like it was a big important thing in wrestling in the 80s. Tag teams that invoked Mad Max. <laughs> was a big thing. Anyway, he's there and like, you know, big size, impressive and all that. They put him in, you know, a couple of uh, of tag title matches, but it doesn't last very long because his partner, when they're put in a tag team championship match, refuses to do the job and thinks it's not believable for us, the Blaster Masters, to lose to this team. So I refuse to job for the World Tag Team Champions. Wow. And just so we know, the World Tag Team Champions were Scott and Rick Steiner. Wow. 
if you were ever like was that a lie then did they just say that so they didn't have to get beaten up by the steiners it's like i don't want to be potatoed today actually that's a pretty good idea i'd be like yeah i don't want to i don't feel like i should put them over i'm actually really scared i don't want to get bruised but i'd rather people think that i was full of shit than i was a coward so i'll just leave the wrestling business now if you don't mind (laughs) but it doesn't matter it doesn't matter because there's big plans for kevin nash even though he can't be a master blaster next best thing because Dusty Rhodes has been in talks with the folks over at TBS and Turner Classic Movies and they've got a great new idea which to use the classic Wizard of Oz IP that hot IP Mm. you know wait for the Wizard of Oz MMO that'll be coming out for uh, (laughs) free to join but pay to win uh, Joe, do you know anything about the gimmick that I'm talking about? I believe it was our first live show I introduced you to the ma- yeah, majesty of this. Yeah, we did an episode on silly gimmicks and Oz was my favourite silly gimmick to come out of the episode. Oz, I couldn't quite get my head around it because he comes out dressed in a like a very cartoonish wizard outfit. Kind of like the one you might see in the 70s in a cartoon show. Yes. And it's all like designed and written by like men in the shed on acid and... You know, <laughs> in the seventies and stuff, and that he comes out with a big rubber wizard mask on as well. Mm. And I was like, oh, I thought he'd like wrestle in the mask, which would be horrible. But no, he comes in then to the ring and he peels his face off. <laughs> he, doesn't, he does the mad eyes as well. And then it's just like this Kevin Nash guy underneath. And for, don't forget, there's other important parts to this gimmick. Well, he's got a little wizard that comes along with him. Who's uh, un- unpleasantly and unfortunately titled the Grand Master. Uh, I thought he was the Great Wizard. Oh, the Great Wizard! That was it. Or the Grand... Yeah, he was the Great Wizard. Yeah, fake he was. wrestling fan Kevin Mahon over here. Did I don't even know the name of, of, of Kevin Nash? It was Kevin Sullivan, by the way. Really? Who, who was in there, yeah. He's bloody tiny. Little Kevin's... Well, I guess anyone beside Nash. And I know, but He was still. stooped over. Wow. I, I'll tell you one thing. Kevin Kevin Sullivan can work a monkey. Like, you know, he had that monkey which looked like it was going to try and rip off both his fake face <laughs> and the real sweet face underneath. Mm. It was crawling all over him and he still managed to pump out the welcome to us! Welcome <laughs> to us! So, Nash and this gimmick. I mean, it came up briefly once or twice on some of the little shoots we watched. Mm. What do you reckon, Kevin Nash? Cool, calm, collected... Big sexy Kevin Nash. What do you think his his thoughts were on Oz? Oh, I know what his thoughts were on Oz, and I know that he hated it. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, fine. I'll add him to the list of wrestlers who don't appreciate their own gimmicks. He's the stardust with... of his time, yeah, Joe. Yeah, exactly. It's just it's really silly. It's fun. Like I understand it's not the best gimmick for like if you want to be a top star, but it's. He's, think, he's only new though right exactly. that's the thing and i feel like lots of wrestlers don't appreciate like little gimmicks like this is what makes you know when a wrestler becomes a big deal it's like little nuggets like this that make them really special i think to the yes. fans because it's like did you know they used to be this shit character and it's I really fun that. and it's yeah really, you know you could show it to like a five-year-old kid and they'd be like ha ha and they'd love it and, <laughs> and also as well we need to point out if you're a brand new wrestler to the business and all that you only have a couple of years under your belt and dusty Rhodes has tailor made a gimmick for you i wouldn't be turning my nose up at any creation of the american dream dusty Rhodes, yeah. right now my biggest issue with the gimmick is i don't understand what the hell it has to do with the wizard of oz because the wizard in the wizard of oz looks nothing like that that's true or the, or the Great Wizard. Or the Great Wizard, yeah. I mean, they did in the first instance, remember they had like Dorothy and the Tin Man and the Lion, they all showed up and there's this like voiceover saying that they all had to go to Oz, which was ruled not over the benevolent wizard, but the evil, powerful wizard of Oz. And they had like the big castle in the background. 
big fireworks, like a big curtain drop stain to reveal the, the Emerald City. Like, there's so much into it. Wow. And the reverence which Dusty Rhodes talks about it, where he's like, I've been to an all-night fair, but I ain't ever seen nothing like this, Jim Roth. Like, he's... Dusty is so into it. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of those gimmicks, I think, maybe... If the the performer in question put his whole weight behind us, yeah, you know, it's not like a you know a career long gimmick, but it's a fun, you know, it's like an Isaac Yankum. It's a funny little thing, little uh, string to your bow. It just makes you more interesting, and it should it should challenge you. I don't know any wrestler who gets given a gimmick like that should think of it as a bit of fun. Throw yourself headfirst into yeah. it, right? Own the shit out of it. This like. hard mode. This is the fun sub-story of the main game. But there's nothing fun ever in wrestling. Like, you know, there's shit gimmicks and shit gimmicks will always be around. But there's nothing worse than watching someone where I can see and they're looking right down the lens and they're connecting with me at home and saying, I am uncomfortable. How does that make the fan feel? You know, it's so crap. But I love he was telling stories in some of the shoots he watched about like, how the different men in the office tried to sell it to him. And Dusty had this like big, big vision. He was like making out that like Oz was going to be like the final boss. Right. And brother, they'd have to get through Dorothy, the tin man in that cowardly land before they get their hands on Oz at the Clash of Champions. And that, of course, never happened. No, of course. And Kevin Sullivan, the veteran, what his advice to Nash was about the big new gimmick was, for fuck's sake, Nash! They're paying you $46,000 a year. Take the money and do your job. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Oz doesn't work out. And despite the fact, actually, apparently, little known fact, over in Japan, during one of the very rare tours of, uh, in the early 90s, WCW did of Japan, apparently Oz was very over. The fans would all chant, Oz, Oz, That's because in Japan, they appreciate silly gimmicks yeah yeah but just a general better understanding of of humor yes they don't take themselves so seriously they would be fucking big into oz i think oz could have a big run in any company in japan bring (laughs) oz back because like it doesn't matter who's under the mask and like because they're gonna take it off anyway it doesn't matter but like they should bring back the essence of oz there was a rumor at one point and I, I swear I heard Nash kind of say that, yeah, he would have done it. But, you know, he's kind of, he'll, he'll pretty much do anything if it means he'll, he'll kind of get the nod or whatever to be a, a brief appearance on TV, I'm sure. But remember when they did, like, I told you, they did, like, a, an anonymous general manager of Raw at one point, And it just came through, like, emails and stuff and no right. one knew who it was. Well, apparently they were going to do a big thing at the end that, like, it was, like, behind the curtain you would find out. It was just going to be Kevin Nash wearing the wizard's hat, like, slowly typing on a laptop. <laughs> And like, as a silly payoff for yeah. a frustrating storyline, that would have been great. Like, yeah, that would you have been know. Funny. But yeah, Nash, not a fan of Oz, apparently. You know, that's no the, taste. fine. No taste. And his next gimmick that he gets, which was heavily inspired by a Steve Martin performance from uh, a movie he did around the time, it's called Vinny Vegas. Mm-hmm. And this is him all dressed up in a nice kind of tuxedo, being a cool, laid back, hey, oh, kind of a, a wise guy type of a character. Right. Nash in a tuxedo with sunglasses. That's a winning look as far as I'm concerned. It's pretty good. It's not his best, but it's okay. But a young Shawn Michaels, he sees Vinny Vegas on TV and he's like, this guy, oh oh man, I I need need this guy. He absolutely is blown away by him. He thinks, this is the man I need. Because Shawn Michaels has just lost Sensational Sherry as a manager. Mm. They've gotten rid of Luna as well as his manager. He needs someone new. And he's thinking, I need a big, strong, stoic dude. And he thinks that... 
this dude, Vinny Vegas, who's big, but also has a sense of humor and can talk and can laugh at himself. He's the perfect fit. But it was here in WCW. This is where he met like Scott Hall, you know, originally. They would have actually teamed up with um, Diamond Dallas Page and the Vegas connection, stuff like that. So he made a lot of his connections then. Mm. But Sean wanted, like he requested, he went up to Vince and he said, this is the guy that I want. Wow. And if if he gets his release, will you hire him? And Vince is like, yeah, all right. Sure, get his release. And Nash walked into the office and said, yeah, my wife doesn't want me to be a wrestler anymore. And the guy didn't even look up and just gave him his release. Yeah. What? Yeah, sh- sorry, sorry to lose you. Sorry, Kev. Sorry about that. Wow. <laughs> I mean, these seven foot lads don't grow on trees, right? No, but I guess, I don't know, maybe he wasn't trying very hard and they were like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> All right, well, Oz didn't work, Vinny Vegas didn't work. Like, what hope is it? Yeah. So he shows up then. He is the big stoic bodyguard of Shawn Michaels and he's Diesel, the big man. Now, these guys go on to be known as Two Dudes with Attitude. Uh, I know we've seen these guys a couple of times on Pay-Per-View Classic on the Patreon recently. Yes. Sean and Diesel together. What do you think of these two guys? They're cute. Cute! Well, because Sean Michaels is really tiny. Yeah. And very nervous. <laughs> and Kevin Ash is very big and very not nervous. He's very confident. I think they balance each other out a little bit. They do bit. balance each other out. And I feel like Sean kind of thought that would happen like i feel like sean when he saw kevin nash on wcw he would be like oh he's got confident energy yeah he'll balance me out little anxious sean yeah i don't know if nash would be giving him the little satin glove to rub on his face or anything like that but this is kind of like now the kind of the 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 building blocks of what will become known as the click you've got sean and you've got diesel and these guys kind of go from being like kind of a, a, an act with, you know, a guy in a bodyguard to pretty quickly Diesel, you know, winning the Intercontinental title. They become tag team champions together. You know, you've got Scott Hall is brought into the mix. You know, they all kind of start working with each other. You know, Sean knows of Scott now because Scott and Kevin were friends back in the day in WCW. And, oh, let's take this young little kid under our wing, this young one, two, three kid. We'll, we'll let him know kind of this is how... Or mindset is about wrestling. You know, we're going to help the young generation by helping this one kid. <laughs> and then their favorite wrestler in WCW, who they used to make fun of because he had the shittest name, Terror Rising. Oh, wow. AKA Triple H. Right. And uh, were you surprised to learn why Nash was so eager to get him involved in the clique and their group? They just liked him, didn't they? They just liked his character. And also the fact that he was teetotal and sober. Oh, well, apparently they <laughs> so they didn't know that until after they got him signed and then also joined their group. And then they found out afterwards that so he was teetotal. And they're like, oh, oh, <laughs> designated driver. This is actually great. So there's kind of two things I want to maybe like chat with you about and try and tease apart a little bit. First thing is like kind of Nash's relationship with this group, the clique, and kind of like the power that they have. And the idea of like a group of wrestlers having a lot of political sway and influence. Now, this is you know, Bret Hart's worst nightmare and all that. You know, he, he's talked talk very, very disparagingly about this group. But in your mind, like kind of as the way they described it, I guess, in the documentary and through through Nash's lens, this kind of group of like-minded similar mindset wrestlers kind of working together you know behind the scenes is that a positive thing do you think or i mean yeah obviously it's a good thing because like we see a bit of that in aw now don't we there's like lots of groups like that i feel of like-minded wrestlers well no that's just a that's 
that's different though. That's just kayfabe, isn't it? Yeah, but they are, like actually are booking stuff for themselves behind the scenes, like the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega and and, and the likes of that. Ah, They're all EVPs. Very different. Different, I guess. Because yeah. Because in AEW, I mean, the Young Bucks—they're part owners of the companies. It's not exactly the uh, the rough and ready working man. Yeah, all right, that's each true. Other out, like, when, when, you've got a, when you've got an executive title, it's probably a little bit yeah. different. Yeah. I'm sorry, I was just giving. I was wanting them to seem cool. Yeah, I just want to talk about how much you love AEW. I love AEW. Hello, mm. I'm Kevin, and uh, you can check us talking about AEW and. Joe liked a recent AW pay per view. That's all on our Patreon page. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the the click the group. You think it's a positive, generally speaking, though. I think in theory it's a positive. Mm. You know, uh, people coming together to share tips, information, um, stuff about like their paychecks, making sure they're all kind of being treated and paid in a similar way. That's that's a real big one. It I is. I think that one kind of goes by the wayside a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like you could almost come up with like a name for like when people come together and sort of almost like form a union like kind of the the, the united almost almost. like unionizing um to get rights for each other what's that but not like a not like a union if there was a way for these wrestlers to come together in this figurative union of which you speak and almost like kind of strike a bargain kind of collectively yeah you know? like maybe then they would have some semblance of power against the authority and the company that employs them you know then they could fight for their rights and stuff and, it yeah. makes me sick to my back teeth actually now that you say that because you know in this documentary they kind of go out of their way and they really want you to know like triple h is fucking he's real passionate he's like you, know, you should all be thanking the likes of kevin nash and scott hall and myself and, and sean mm. because by doing this by coming together in this un- undefined collective group of people <laughs> who kind of in a way collectively uh, struck a, a bargain if you will about our, our remuneration for better rights uh, you know he's, he's like he's, he's fucking hopping on that thing you know this union shit's great yeah when but, it works for us but just for me and yeah. my close friends like that's shit that, if that's really what you're doing you're just making you're just trying to make life better for you and the people closest to you which I feel is very selfish especially when the resulting factor of that will be that the people who are outside of that group will lose out because by collectively bargaining for better positioning power pay for a few it's got to be taken from somewhere exactly it'll be, yeah. be taken from the people who aren't able to collectively unionize and which is why unions work the way they do yeah and like i think we look at the click and kind of the the blueprint for what they wanted it was kind of like so well you know you can have Kevin wrestle Scott, and then we could do Kevin and Sean versus, you know, Scott and the one, two, three kid, mm. Sean Waltman. You know, we, we can all kind of do this together and kind of ensure that we're all kind of kept on uneven footing. And, you know, that kind of, it worked in many respects because this era that Nash came into was post-Hogan. This was probably the lowest kind of amount of business that the WWF ever had. It was a year or two after Vincent Matt had been taken to court by the federal government in the steroid scandal. So I think it wasn't necessarily their intention, but they did kind of end up making a lot of stars all at once yeah. by doing that. But I think there's a lot of people who weren't on that click gravy train. And it's not as if, you know, there was a lot of, good you know payouts to be going around at the time Mm. this was during a time where you know kevin nash had said in shoot interviews 
that catering was ham sandwiches. <laughs> and you were lucky if well, it was... Well, that's why it was ham know. sandwiches, because all the all the money was going to the click salary. Yeah, and I, but like I think as well, like it's, it sounds a lot to Vince McMahon, like that he was able to seemingly all throughout the 80s and the late 90s kind of keep all the pay secret because Hogan's not going to go into the dressing room with other people going, oh man, I got half a mil for that Madison Square Garden show. That's amazing. Good job, everyone. No, no, no. No one's telling anyone anything like that. And I think that's kind of shit. Like, honestly, I remember, you know, one or two jobs that I went for when I first kind of qualified as a teacher and kind of walking in and someone just goes, here's the salary. There you go. And I walked out going, okay, this will this be my job? And then like another teacher going to me, and this is how I got into being in a, in a union when I was in school, my union rep went to me and goes, oh shit, you know, you're meant to get all these extra bits because, oh, you know, go back yeah, in there yeah. and renegotiate. And I was like, fucking hell. Like I could barely yeah. hide my anger that someone yeah. was willing to hire me for less money than, not like I could have negotiated, but I was actually entitled to as, yeah. as the real state. And I think, yeah, it's it's just sad that like maybe the main lesson that's been learned from the click is like, oh, it's good to have friends in wrestling because then you can make money. Well, that's exactly <laughs> it. Like, I feel like, you know, all that stuff about Triple H being like, oh, the, the people should be grateful for the click. It's like all they've done is help other, let's admit it, white wrestlers yeah. who are men make friends with other white wrestlers who are men and collectively bargain for better pay for just them and their friends. Like, that still goes on today, I'm sure of it. But I can't think of anyone from that lineup that we're talking about who probably gained more from being in this group than Kevin Nash. Oh, really? Well, think about it. Like, in WCW, he's literally, like, he's three gimmicks into a, a run where, obviously, like, if they're not even looking up when he's walking out the door and the lad's seven foot... Yeah. And a great fucking body, by the way. Like he's, yeah, but he's he, not much of a wrestler, is he? But, like, this is during a time where that could be the f- least no, important thing I in the world. I disagree, I disagree. But I, I feel, though, like, he, he says that, like, on that first taping where he showed up, like, he you, in this, you know, he shows up in the tracksuit, they do, like, back-to-back Raw tapings. He said he learned more in three hours than he had in three years <laughs> in WCW. And, like, Scott Hall, a lot more of, like, a, for lack of a better term, a nerd for wrestling than yeah. Nash ever was. Same with Sean Waltman, avid wrestling fan, Triple H, avid like student of the business. And Nash, I feel like kind of by osmosis got all this kind of, you know, he had a passion of a sort, mm. but he's not Mr. Like, I'm going to be up till five in the, in the morning looking at old tapes and no. talking about Harley Race finishes with Triple H. No, he's just kind of picking up this from being in this group. I think he was very well served mm. being in this group. But the other question I want to ask you about yeah. is his relationship with Vince McMahon and what you reckon to that. Well, he says himself that he saw Vince as a father figure. Really? We can add another one to our stable. Yeah. All my sons. Sunrise, sunset, sunrise, sunset. <laughs> It'd be interesting to see if this ever happens with a woman being like, oh, v- Vince, Vince is like a, a father dad. figure. <sighs> Can you imagine? <laughs> never, ever, ever, ever happen. Never. I mean, even Stephanie wouldn't say her father's like a father figure. <laughs> to, to to put it in perspective about how fucked up this father figure thing is, right? Nash just casually mentions Vince is like you know like a like a father figure to me. He cut to Triple H this documentary, and he says, "In this business." You need a father figure like Vince because when you become champion, everyone else becomes jealous and is after you. So you need a father figure like Vince McMahon, who Triple H also, by the way, also considers a father figure. And Shawn Michaels as well also 
considers mm. a father figure. Pretty sure and Scott Hall's head as well. Yeah. Kurt Angle definitely did. And yeah, I don't know. If your dad's telling you that everyone's jealous of you. Which is I definitely, mean, by the way, what was happening. Oh, unbelievable. Oh, by the way, everyone's jealous of your opportunities and you can only trust me, Vince McMahon. Here's a question. Do you think Vince McMahon ever played members of the clique off against one another? As in, do you think that he got in Sean's ear going, well... Big man over there, Kevin Nash, or goes into Scott Hall's ear and says, well, the only two, three kids coming up there. Do you think he, he would be as brazen as to do that? No, I don't think so, because I don't think that would benefit him. Because mm. if he did that, that would splinter the group, which would then, if you think about their collective organisation, it benefits him that they're all in a clique together because it means that they don't talk about their salaries to other wrestlers, like mm. mid-carders. Yeah. And that's, I think, what Vince would really want to stop from happening. Yeah. So if they splintered... So kind of contain it all, those. Contain it all to one group. And then that way, if you whisper in the group's ear, oh, everyone hates you, no one likes you, and oh, you're just best off together alone because you're the best. Because otherwise, if you don't do that, they're going to go off and tell everyone else <laughs> what they've all learned, and Vince wouldn't want that, so. This group, and Nash in particular, kind of do believe that they had Vince around their little finger. No, Vince had them around his little finger. <laughs> it's so interesting to hear your perspective on that. I don't think I... anyone has ever had Vince McMahon around their finger, yeah, ever. I, th- I think you're kind of, like... I mean, I... definitely they benefited from their relationship with oh, him. Oh, yeah. But I think that was intentional on his part. I think he, he he thought of it as a mutually beneficial relationship. I don't think he would have thought of as being hard done by by the situation. I think it was definitely mutually beneficial because, you know, if you look at, you know, this era we're talking about, post-Hogan, post-steroid scandal, and Vince McMahon is trying to push this idea of like a new generation. We've done a lot of new generation stuff over on Pay-Per-View Classic mm. actually recently because I know you wanted to see a lot of Brett and you wanted to see Simone. Yep. And we've seen a lot of Diesel and the two dudes with Attitude as <laughs> yes, well we as, as a result of that. And like to say that Vince benefited from these guys, yeah, oh my God, it's an understatement because mm. they had their finger on the pulse. And I think Nash is probably one of the few wrestlers who was like in a tippity-top spot and actually knew what the general, like, pop culture-wise, kind of what the kids like, what's popular music, movies. Like, Nash has had several characters, including Diesel, by the way, based off of characters in movies that he said. And you're talking yeah, about, yeah. you know, Scott Hall, he's doing something that's based off of, you know, of a movie as well. Like, a lot of mm-hmm. this kind of media's brought in. Like, I don't think Stone Cold Steve Austin or The Undertaker or Hulk Hogan had a fucking clue what was hot in pop culture at the time oh, when they no, were on top. absolutely not. No way. No way. But we watched those in your house shows in the new generation and yeah, cringy and cheesy as it is now, but like to see like rap in 1993 in wrestling in 1994 on Vince McMahon's show, yeah, it's probably like 10 years too late in many respects, but they dragged him kicking and screaming hmm. into something vaguely resembling a modern wrestling show. Yeah. But I think Vince liked Big Daddy Cool, Kevin Nash. He liked Diesel because he was a big guy, but also he was a naturally big guy. Mm. And I think he thought of him as the next Hulk Hogan. Do you think? Absolutely. Within a year, Joe, he made him the World Wrestling Federation champion. Within a year! I don't know if he really thought he was the next Hulk Hogan. Well, not necessarily that like, he was going to be a star of the magnitude right. of Hulk Hogan, but his next kind of Hogan figure. Oh, I see. He would yeah. be like the central kind of piece yeah. of this kind of new generation. Yeah, I mean, it's clear to see that Vince McMahon really likes Kevin Nash. Yeah. And you can see why. Like, anything you know about Vince, you can see that he would admire in, in, you know, in Kevin Nash. And the fact that, like, Kevin Nash comes from this, like... 
you know, he earned his basketball scholarship. He came up through sports. He went to the army. He then you know, worked in a strip club as a floor manager. That's all stuff that Vince would admire. I think Vince likes the most, though, that he's a charming, he's intelligent charming, yeah. man. That's yeah. that's it. And, and he's, he's funny. You know, and he's funny. Yeah. Vince loves someone with a sense of humor who oh. doesn't take themselves too seriously. Like the, that twinkle that Vince gets in his eye. Oh, when they're talking. When they're talking. You see yeah. a lot of footage of that in the documentary, which is one good bit is that you get to see a lot of like kind of just kind of you know, behind the scenes kind of B-roll of, of of Nash as Diesel, you know, hanging around with Vince. And Vince is, he hasn't got the Sean twinkle in his eye. That's different though. That's more like Sean's his special little, his his youngest child, his special precious baby. Special boy. Whereas Kevin Nash is kind of like... <sighs> that cool kid across the street who he wants to get Moe's lawn. Like, yeah, yeah, like the friend. Give him $20 the to cool do. friend of his lame son. <laughs> it's like, oh, I wish my son was more like this guy. I kind of think it's funny that... They said up front in this documentary and, you know, Vince says it and Nash is kind of, you know, all, he's poked fun at this fact that, you know, Vince viewed him as being like the the the, the, the face of the new generation, you know, because <laughs> yeah. like if I think a new generation and particularly from the recent stuff that you and I have watched for over on the Patreon, I really I think of like Brett and Sean. I don't think of. Yeah. Of Diesel. Diesel. I mean, he's there for sure. He's an important part. But I don't think of him as like, that's the new generation no. right there. I mean, it's like, that's a big tall dude for sure, you know? Looking around. So he does become the WWF champion not that far into his WWF tenure, beating Bob Backlund at a live event, like no, not on television, live event, wins the title off Bob Backlund, who would have been considered kind of the old timey wrestler in eight seconds. Wow. And that's kind of a vote of confidence there. What do you think of the idea of like putting the title on someone on like a house show, like on a non-televised event like that? It happens quite a lot these days. Oh yeah, that happened in NXT. I, I swore at one point Samoa Joe won the title yeah. off Finn. Yeah. yeah, it's a neat idea, I guess, to kind of have someone win and it be kind of oh out of the blue and all that jazz. Yes, it doesn't really mean anything to me, to be honest. Yeah, I think like what their idea behind it was that apparently like the business that they were doing at Madison Square Garden was really, really low. So the idea is that if you change the title in a house show, it would make people think, oh, we should go to these house shows because we might see something exciting happening right. in that result. So he has a year run, basically, with the world title, despite the fact that he has still, at this point, I would say quite a limited move set. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I was wondering, like, we're going to get into our first Nash match now. But having seen him a few times on the pay-per-view classics and all that, was the moveset shocking to you? Was the repertoire or was the wrestling style of Kevin Nash a shock to you at all? No, it was pretty much exactly as I thought it would be. How, how would you describe the work style, the the, the kind of the, the, the wrestling stance and the, the, the fighting style of Kevin Nash? He takes it slow. Yeah. He takes his time, <laughs> which isn't a bad thing. Yeah. You know, I think more wrestlers need to do that especially in this day and age i'd say that's like the main failing of modern wrestling is i'm not not enough wrestlers understand the 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 value of just taking your time with something jim ross joe ross over here like you know slow it down take it slow these kids too many high spots like no no no. i'm not talking about with the wrestling okay i'm talking about just generally oh this is your energy level almost, just like, like i feel like silence says as much as like you know a sentence does and it's all about positioning and where you decide to pause and how you decide to pause and like if you take any kind of acting class you know at a particular level they will teach you how to use silence as a tool i think he's quite good at that because he is yeah 
you know, there is, it is weird when you see his promos as Diesel as the WF champion, where he's almost he's almost putting on this kind of fake tough guy voice, yes. which I don't think is as cool as his actual voice. Yes, definitely. Which, you know, with age, it's only gotten cooler yeah. and sexier. <laughs> and as we saw in the clips from the WWE documentary as well, it was, it was Vince that kind of brought that out of him, yeah. accentuated it more, and he was like, slow it down, slow it down. Vince is all into the idea of this big, cool giant. I yeah. think like that's like one of Vince's like if he could have that with like most of his tall guys, if they had this kind of cool demeanor, and that's it. Like you know, as Diesel, he wouldn't be screaming and shouting. He'd come out with kind of a, a little smirk on his face. Yeah. You know, he comes out with a little bit of a saunter and a bit of a swagger. He's not like running to the ring. You know, this guy is probably like the polar opposite energy wise of the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> yeah. Despite the fact that I think he probably has the same number of moves at yes. his disposal as the Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was terrified going into this, in many respects, these matches. Because we had already seen Diesel versus Sean at mm. In Your House, Good Friends, Better Enemies. Which was a fabulous match. And we had also seen Brett versus Diesel from King of the Ring 94, our most recent pay-per-view classic. Mm. Which was also a really great match. And I worried that we had already seen Kevin Nash's two greatest matches before we settled into this. Yeah. But we had one here that I thought was a very fitting one as well, capping off a near year-long reign as the World Wrestling Federation champion. This takes us to Survivor Series 1995 as Bret the Hitman Hart challenges the WWF champion Diesel. And Diesel has a little pre-match promo where he's got that special early episode of the podcast, Deep Voice. <laughs> I had this. Sam had it. Billy had it. I think Adam had it. Did you have it? Yeah. Uh, did you have the little Deep Voice yeah. early on? What, what is it, Joe? I thought it was just a boy thing. I'm not sure what's going on. No, it's uh, not discovering your podcasting voice. Aww. It's what we actually sound like when we're not trying to perform. Oh, it's it's not true. It's it, That's true. If you sounded okay, like... it's what we used to sound it's like. It's what we used to sound and like. And now we've podcasted so much, we just sound like this. We sound really engaged yeah, all the all time. All the time. You know, even when I'm like, you know, just in my pants making pancakes. Yeah, like, like, you know. Boom, on, banter, <laughs> go. <laughs> So this is a big fight feel, a big old match. Fucking hell, Bret Hart coming out here. I always get like a little chill run up my spine now when I see Bret Hart. Oh, why's that? Just because like, I think it's one of the great things about doing that pay-per-view classic series with you. And I feel like fans of the show now understand and you've articulated so well why you like Bret. <laughs> it feels like every time Bret comes out, I don't want to say the match is secondary, mm. but it feels like there's so much more going into your enjoyment of a match mm. with Brett other than, oh, is he going to pop in the sharpshooter? Is he going to win? Is he going to lose? <laughs> and like, can you like explain, and maybe fans who hadn't checked out the the, 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 the Patreon, like what is like your, your love of Brett seems to have grown in the last year for sure. It has grown. I think it's just the more I learn about him, the more I like him. Like, I didn't think much of him before we did the episode on Bret Hart. Yeah. Uh, you know, I did those wrong wrestling shirts and I did his as Shawn Michaels. Are you officially saying you were, you'd be one of those people who would blush if you saw it at a wrestling show now? I, I do feel a bit bad that someone wore it to meet Bret Hart. <laughs> Joe, no! Did that happen? That oh my God! That actually happened. They went to a meet and greet. And How dare it. you? Apparently How dare you sell them at wrong wrestling shirts at .t com. apparently he was um quite sweet and a bit confused Co gently corrected them and said that's not sure michaels that's me bret hart i'm bret hart the best there is the best there was 
Um, uh, but it's not just that. It's just like, uh, yeah, as I, like, the more I learn about him, the more I like him. Like the, the clip of him in The Simpsons is very charming, but even more charming is the clip of him talking <laughs> about him being in The Simpsons and how it's so cool. And he obviously doesn't know what The Simpsons is. <laughs> And it's very charming. And then there's this other clip that was shown to me recently where he talks about his love of Sting and just, oh, yeah. just appreciates Sting. And it's just like, you know, there's often stuff just going around about Brett. Just You, you, know, you get people who will tweet you a couple of times yeah. already where it's like, hey, here's Brett just talking about something. Yeah. It feels like it means more when it comes from Brett. Does that make sense? Like if Brett's going to talk about a certain topic or if Brett says he likes a wrestler, has good opinions of a wrestler, that seems to resonate you a lot more than kind of, random wrestler or podcaster chatting about us i think it's for a few reasons so one it's that brett's not a politician mm. and he's never tried to be when i learned that when he went to wcw he was given his own changing room and he was like no do not give i don't want that take it away i never never insult me by doing that again like he's one of the boys and you know i really respect that i think in a time when you know there was a lot of politicking going wrong yeah. around someone in particular who mm. we may do an episode on right now maybe and um, <laughs> Hey, they're both earning seven figures. Like, you know, come on. One guy decided to opt in for the free room you get with that fucking ridiculous contract. And I like that, you know, I feel like Brett, a lot of wrestlers don't like Bret Hart because he's sulky. And I feel like in wrestling, if you're a man, you have to like fight all the time. And if you, if someone does something you don't like, you have to like be a piece of shit and yeah, fight them. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Brett, He'll just moan. I like that. You know, lots of fans, they it's hate it's that. It's relatable. A lot of fans think it's whiny and entitled. Yeah. But whatever, you're entitled to that opinion. I'm entitled to mine. I like whiny Brett. I Cause... like that he's sulky. I relate to that. Because like, the reason I bring it up is like, you know, when we were on that initial kind of rabbit hole with looking at Nash stuff and all that, and mm. it's like, I, there was, I feel like there was a few wobbles early on where you were like, oh, okay, this guy isn't just kind of cool and charismatic and mm. charming. There's like kind of you saw a little bit of that nasty streak to him, you know, mm. or, or a little bit of that kind of not necessarily cruel, but kind of like in it for himself, you know, the kind of very self-centered viewpoint, which yeah. you know absolutely entitled to have in wrestling. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, lots of people but, do. But you literally turned to me and you were like, "What does Brett think about Nash?" Like That's you, you needed to. That was like that for what me struck me. You know, he's my measuring stick. Yeah, generally with people in this era because like he's been around for a long time, so he's come into contact with a lot of people, and because he was one of the boys he's heard you know from the lower card people mm. what other people are like and i feel you learn more about someone with how they treat people who are beneath them right in yeah commas, than how they treat you know bret hart themselves how would you describe or like what what did you get then as the kind of the, the view or the relationship between bret hart and kevin nash then i mean what in this match? Oh no, it's not kind of generally speaking before we got into it, like it's hard to say because mm. like obviously they've known each other a long time. Yeah. And their paths have crossed in different ways in different places and you know, they've there's been tensions obviously with the Montreal screw job. Yeah, I should point out as well, for all the uh, all the chats we've said about Kevin Nash being cerebral and intelligent and all that, the big asterisk is that this man wined and dined on being a Montreal screw job truther for far too long. Far, yeah. far too many red wine laden shoot interviews talking about how it was a work, right? Okay. Mm. And again, if you're just saying that because you know it's what the shoot interviewer wants to hear, but. You'll get more pasta that way. <laughs> Go on, Nash, if you say it's at work, we'll give you an extra spoonful. We'll give you thirds. <laughs> I loved watching this match with you, like the start of it. Like, just what kind of reminded me was that 
there was like three or four people in the front row who all had their own Brett signs who looked like they were about to burst into tears when they saw the guy. <laughs> very, very invested in Bret Hart. Potential mistresses, some of them maybe. Who knows? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't like the harmonica music for Diesel's entrance as much as the the horrible horn truck sounds. All right, yeah, this is where we vary greatly because we had Diesel and Brett was our most recent pay-per-view classic mm. and Diesel comes out to... And like even when he won the title off Backland, it's like I listen to the fans in Madison Square Garden, all going yay to the sounds of. How do you prefer that to do 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 do? That's the best ever, right? Not for Diesel. Why? Because he's a horrible man. Who's called Diesel, which is like a truck, and then he has the truck horn sounds, and they're horrible, but and they're cool. loud, and they're big. He's yeah. cool, big daddy, cool. He's no, the harmonica is like the harmonica thing is like the type of music you'd give to Elias or someone. It's like <laughs> walk with Diesel. Like. I, I think it's literally the Big Show's theme slow down a little bit. <laughs> like you could go really slow. Well, get ready for something. <laughs> <laughs> but you're 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 a fan of you you would rather diesel come out to yeah. that horrible sound of diesel power yeah yeah interesting that much prefer that Vince McMahon on commentary here promises us a good old time tonight in Madison Square Garden we get the Brett gif at the start of the match I know oh! the famous the iconic Brett gif with the eyebrows there's a little just a little bit of a, a little bit of funny business there charming very charming absolutely even more charming in video than it is in a gif yeah these two guys they kind of have like there's almost so much charm in this ring right now it's why, like, you know why does he do the charming face what I, was he doing I, he just looked at someone in the audience and went mm? that's his mistress then <laughs> i mean i just like the, this is why i love so much about this match it's face versus face right which is is kind of a. uh, uh always like an interesting dynamic to do but they kind of go quite early into the idea of like you know diesel getting a little bit more frustrated and resorting to a little bit more of the kind of the the, the street fight and a bit less of that kind of pure wrestling and like i was really excited to watch it because i know the last time we watched brett and diesel it was like brett playing like a game of chess and just trying to slowly figure out the moves to take this big man down and almost that little eye at the start to me was kind of like well i almost beat him once before I'll probably do it now. You know, it just, I, there was like that, it just exuded a little bit of confidence, which I felt like if they hadn't had a match before, which kind of ended at a DQ or whatever, it wouldn't have been founded. But I just kind of like that. It's like Brad kind of giving you that, like, he's confident here. It's just, it seemed so silly. Yeah, but I, I, it worked for, for me. For me, it felt like he was pulling a face to one of his kids. <laughs> like he was like, hey kids, here's your wacky dad. I, I love it. I love it. I don't care why he did it. I just, I love it. I thought it was it was the, the, the right little bit of energy for this match here, which begins with Toru Diesel and Brett Yano removing <laughs> all the, 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 the protective coverings on the turnbuckles and all that. That was an odd way to start. Yes. I mean, I, I liked it. It kind of added this, like, it was almost like the Chekhov's gun type of thing. It's like, all right, there's two exposed turnbuckles, so we have mm. to keep our eyes open for that. It raised the, the tension quite early. I do feel, though, like they should make the turnbuckle look more different when it hasn't got a cover on. Because I always forget when they take the turnbuckle cover off that it's off because it looks quite similar. It's just this little kind of, this tiny nut, which I think they need to make bigger. Exactly, yeah. Know? It's hard when they're taking away something and there's like, 
oh no, the the really dangerous thing is actually really small and hard to see. Like yeah. they should like paint it sparkly or something. So it's, like, <laughs> eye-catching. Or have an LED coming off it or something like that. Yeah. Or turn into a big target or something like that instead. Or do what AEW do and have a camera. Oh yeah, I like that. turnbuckle so you can actually see the little nut. Yeah, that's actually really good. That's, that's one of the best things about having that turnbuckle cam is that you yeah. can see that close up. But pay for the poor people in the audience who don't get to see anything of the sort. They just have to take our word for it. Like that there's a very, very small nut, yeah. nut all the way down there yeah. in that ring. Vince McMahon says on commentary that both of these men are great role models. And I would think that if you could take cherry pick certain values from both Nash and Brett, you would get someone who has exceptional values and is a great role model. Yeah. But certain ones you might want to avoid. Definitely. Yeah, you wouldn't want to do, you wouldn't want to hit randomize on those traits. No, you don't want to get someone who's too lazy to moan like they want to deep down inside. (laughs) (laughs) So we have some big man dominating, less big man action, but Diesel gets frustrated early on and comes out with a chair. And this is great. Diesel, he starts spitting in his hands. This was something that I liked a lot. He starts going and kind of rubbing it like he's going to relish what he's going to do to Brett. There's a few little things that Diesel does in the ring that I really like where he kind of rubs his hands together. There's times where he throws people into a corner and he kind of like, you know, does a little like picture, like, you know, like a director looking at uh, mm. uh, what, what a picture will look like on screen. And I do like it, particularly because it is hiding the fact that the man probably has a moveset more limited than almost in 2021. Really? More? Well, I don't know, because he's taken a bump. That's true. Almost has never yet, taken yet a bump. to do that. But could you? <laughs> how many moves do you think that Nash has, like that he can do? Because he does the power bomb. That's his finisher. And what other things do he does he usually do in a match? Did you notice any of his, his things that he does? He punches. He kicks. Yeah. Does an Irish whip. <laughs> that's less of a move and more of like an element of a move. Really? Yeah. You have to put him against the ropes to then do a move. I don't know. That a Kev. Just the big boot. Isn't that just a kick? Oh, yes, there's a kick, yeah. Uh, if I had to guess, I'd say he's got seven moves. You reckon he's got seven moves? I couldn't name them all. Jim Cornette insists that there's five, including the hair flip. But I right. think I think there's probably closer to seven. I mm. think so. I mean, it feels like a cruel question to ask at this point. But like when he was wrestling Brett here in this match, and yeah. I thought they were telling like a really interesting story of like the big guy getting frustrated with his lack of success by being powerful. And then Brett just slowly, slow and steady going after the legs and trying to break the big man down. And you know, they didn't do a lot of flashy stuff here, Yeah. but like, did diesel entertain you? Did he enthrall you? Did he, did he get you in this match? Not especially, he didn't not, get me either he didn't like blow your you blow your mind in this one did he no really okay no okay I, i'm gonna say like i'm a big fan like a lot of the little elements here of like you know when brett goes like you know the figure four you know onto his leg and, you know, there's, what, and he, his legs don't bend that way <laughs> well like that's what kind of made it really like exciting for me it's like there's no way this man's legs are going to bend you know, he, you know the, the attacks to the legs he does sell when appropriate i guess but yeah i, I thought i was kind of watching you a bit during this and it felt like he wasn't kind of cutting through to you almost no uh both men do kind of resort to kind of slight kind of trickery brett at one point getting a wire to tie up big daddy cool and this is probably my favorite moment of the entire match uh yeah brett got a cable and he he tied up diesel he was a kind of like essentially clamped to, to the ring post and brett started stabbing at him with the yeah. chair and all it was pretty vicious stuff from brett like it was yeah i liked that actually and like yeah it was like i have to say 
a bit of a masterpiece. As we have seen on this podcast before, people try and tie little knots. It's hard. And to tie a knot that small, which was then big enough that Kevin Nash could then untie himself. Well, not just that, but like, you know, Kevin struggled in the knot for a while. And there yeah. were a couple of times where he tried to kick Brett with his leg tied up and stuff. And it still didn't come undone. But as you say, it wasn't tied up so securely that it was impossible for Nash to untie it. Brett has to have been in scouts or something like so. that. I think so. But I also have another theory which is that Kevin Nash is actually the master of knots. <laughs> and what are you basing this theory on? I mean, he did get the, the turnbuckle cover off very, very easily. He did, whereas Brett struggled. He did, yeah. And Brett, obviously, a lot more familiar with rings and turnbuckles. He's probably assembled and disassembled more rings than I've had hot dinners. I, I don't think Kevin Nash has ever disassembled a ring somehow. No. I have a funny feeling he's not had to bring it up 20 flights of stairs or whatever it is. Also, in one of the pay-per-view classic matches we watched, there was a bit where Shawn Michaels was trying to take off a turnbuckle cover in the middle of a Diesel match. Oh, yeah. And he couldn't do it. And Diesel had to take time out of the match to undo the turnbuckle oh. cover. And there was another instance as well where, again, Kevin Nash undid a tie... I was like, oh, that's very impressive. He did that very quickly. Maybe because he's got strong fingers. I don't know. Hidden skill set, though. I mean, it's a good thing to have in wrestling. There's nothing more embarrassing than someone trying to remove a turnbuckle cover and they simply can't. I've seen Steve Austin tuck a few turnbuckle pads after losing his rag with it, like, after a while. This is the part of the match which kind of really stands out to me, where get a moment where we have Brett getting hit into that exposed turnbuckle. He goes that chest first spot that he does, which is really fucking horrible, particularly because Brett has previously cracked his sternum in, and that is not a nice injury to get. But Brett then gets sent off the ring apron. And this is like not kind of like teased or set up. It just happens out of nowhere. Brett goes sailing off the apron through the Spanish announce table in 1995. So yeah, that was the first time that ever happened, right? In WWF, it was the first right, time, yeah. 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 Wow. And Brett literally said in his book, it's like, oh, I heard there was this guy in ECW called Sabu who was doing tables, so we thought we'd do the table spot. <laughs> so we did. Like, you know? and again, another reason I respect Brett, because he wasn't like, yeah, I did it for the first time ever. Instead he was like, yeah, this other guy did it, and then I copied him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel like, Brett is never the one who's like having to explain, actually, I was the person who did this, you know, or anything like that. Whereas Nash, it feels like he's always explaining, no, you think I did this, but I didn't do this. Yeah, or you think I didn't do that, but I did actually. And it was amazing. There's a lot more similarities between Nash and Russo than a lot of the other people we've done episodes on. (laughs) But like, you know, just in the sense that he feels like a lot of the times, and I'm not talking about the modern man now, because he feels definitely at peace now, but it feels like a lot of like, a lot of his late career particularly and a lot of those interviews where he's talking about moments like this he feels like he's always on the back foot trying to explain himself or make mm. you realise that the question you're asking is completely wrong mm. you've no right to ask me that question whatsoever yeah. like Brett does kind of Brett does kind of make out in this match that he did this great great favour for Diesel he made Diesel look like this absolutely unstoppable giant I mean he know? did allow himself to go through a table for him yeah Yeah, and you know we have you know Brett can't even get picked up for the jackknife power yeah, bomb. Yeah, he just slips right through. Oh, Love that. That's, that was a really cool that's, moment. That's how to sell. Like, Brett basically said in as many words here, this man is better than me, essentially. Yeah. And then we get the roll-up out of nowhere. All the while, the Spanish announcers are like, all right, I'm assuming this is never going to happen again. This is like an aberration. <laughs> like, assumingly, they'll go through the other table next time. This is just like, I don't know, just a weird thing. Like, it's the first time. It won't happen again. They'll get the memo. We get the quick roll-up from Brett. Diesel's pissed. 
He comes and he starts attacking all the referees. It's a full heel turn. He does two check knives to Bret Hart and he screams, I'm back. And Bret writes in his book, like Bret writes like the way that Diesel acts here was like a betrayal of some sort because he throws the belt down to him and says, don't forget who's the fucking favor to you. And Bret was like, I couldn't believe it. I'd done so much for, 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 for Kev in that match and I always got on with him and he, he threw it right back in my face there at the end of it. And was I, he not doing that in character? I thought it was. Like, it seemed like pure character here. But again, it's just so funny, like, when we're talking about all these kind of fragile egos and then you've got, like, someone where, you know, we were talking about how kind of well-adjusted Brett seems and then it feels like, well, judging from his book there, that feels like that doesn't seem well-adjusted at all, you yeah. know? It, it, it was... Classic example, I think, again, a classic example of Vince McMahon kind of moving the chess pieces around. Mm. You were basically saying to one guy, you're actually the star of the new generation, and the other guy, but you're actually the star of the new generation. Whereas I feel fans at the end here would probably not really know who was the star of the new generation, but they'd probably guess it was Brett and not Diesel. (laughs) What did you think of this match? I have a funny feeling you didn't like it as much as the other encounter that they had yeah i didn't i mean even though that other match ended in like a dq and all yeah that. the other match ended worse but this one it was a bit slow mm-hmm. i feel this is typical like kevin nash just like wandering around doing his small like moves his few moves it says a lot that you enjoyed the match that ended in a dq more and i think it, that probably was because Sean was in that match running around and doing all this other kind of extra cool stuff on the outside. You had mm. Jim Neidhart there as well. There was lots of kind of extracurricular stuff almost there. Yeah, I think it's well, it's because like the story of this match was Diesel having the upper hand on Brett. So it was yeah. a lot of Brett kind of giving way to Diesel and selling mm. for him, which, you know, Brett's really good at and I do find entertaining, but it's not as fun for me as like the match Diesel and Brett had because like, on that in that one Brett kind of has more of an upper hand and he's yeah. kind of like he seems a bit more competitive because Brett because Brett energy. here is is the challenger I guess yeah. that you feel like Diesel has to be in control but I think if anything it it does show you that there's not a very deep move set there and it's, no it's not all about moves of course not mm. but when the pace is elbow elbow That's knee punch like, you know I I'll be the first to admit that, like, you know, moveset isn't, like, the main thing that's important to me about a wrestler's ability. You know, for mm-hmm. me, I, it, mouthing off is more entertaining than actually being a good wrestler. And yet he doesn't do any of that either. Like, his in-ring... You know, seeing as he is such a charismatic and funny guy who understands character work so well, it doesn't feel like he's giving us much of that character in the match. You no, know, he doesn't, like, talk or say much. No. He's got that kind of... That, that's not just a, a diesel thing. That's often... And Brett does this as well. It's feel like the fucking code of silence to hit yeah. all in the mid 90s that we're not allowed to say anything during our matches yeah like i just i want a couple of taunts and stuff i yeah. want some crowd work so tell me this match which some people i think diesel himself old nash has said that he considers that his best match yeah i think you're right there that he uh, does think that yeah so i was wondering what your thoughts are what your uh, what's your review what's your your star rating i should ask i gave it three stars out of five it's it like, feels like it's you'd be fine. very nice there i am being nice <laughs> but i do feel like if i gave it any lower i would be being a bit harsh yeah fair like it's a fine match there's not anything wrong with it mm-hmm. but yeah it just didn't do anything special for me didn't love it i certainly wouldn't want to watch it again yeah i think it's more like usually with these matches when you come into it watching it and you have in the back of your head this is meant to be diesel's best match but the main takeaway from it is like, wow, Brett brought Diesel to his best match. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like that's, again, like, I guess why Brett probably likes this match is that it's kind yeah. of a random, you know, compliment for Brett instead exactly, of Diesel. Yeah. Like, so. <laughs> 
So, you know, this kind of, the loss of the title and all that, we then go into a heel run from there. He feuds with The Undertaker. You know, he feuds with Shawn Michaels after that as well. Him and Undertaker have a, a match at WrestleMania 12, I believe it was. But it was around this time where they were kind of looking, and when I say they, I mean him and Scott Hall, they were looking at Pastures Green because there were offers coming in and their contracts were coming up and they were working hard, you know. I think the thing people tend to forget is that even though Nash was the lowest drawing champion of, of his era or whatever, you know, and it was le- wrestling was less popular then, I think a lot of us might kind of think, oh, if wrestling's less popular, they're going to be having less shows, right? Mm-hmm. But if anything, they were having more shows. Uh. So they were traveling like, you know, 300 days a year. They were fucking going crazy. And if you're the champion and you're a big, tall dude like that, yeah, you know, he's not wrestling those high-octane matches. But it kind of like... It's a schedule that burns you, I think. And we see that even in modern day, that WWE schedule, which is a lot lighter now than it was then. And you have the benefit. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, you probably wrestle, I would say, 200 to 250 days a year as opposed to yeah, 300. Yeah, but you think of all the other work that you're expected to do now? Yeah. But don't worry. They made sure they can't do any of that really horrible stuff like Twitch or OnlyFans. Oh, you right. Know? You can't make any money. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know? But hey, they're not eating ham sandwiches, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But like... I read uh, from a shoot interview with the Young Bucks where they were like, this is many years later, they were doing the house show loop in TNA with Nash. And the finish of the match was going to be every night that like they do this big springboard and Nash hits the big boot. Bam! Kicks the Young Bucks out of the sky. One, two, three. And every single night on the tour, Nash misses the boot by like a country mile. <laughs> and like they come up to him. They're kind of a bit scared to it at the start because, you know, it's Kevin Nash. He's the big guy. And you know, he's the, the, the legend. And they come up to him and go, like, Kev, like, do you mean you just like, do it a little bit differently? Like, can you not, like, hit us or square or anything like that? And he's like, it's a house show, guys. People are going to react for the finishers, your entrance, and your taunt. They don't give a shit about anything else. They're not even going to pay attention. They won't know. They won't care. <laughs> and, like, I don't think it's that to that level. No. Because I've sat close by in wrestling shows, and I would think that if people were deliberately not making any contact at all, I would feel well... a little hard done by. Yeah, and also there's a reason Kevin Nash has the reputation he has, and it's because of stuff like that. Shit like that. So like... people do notice, they do care. Yes. And they forgive you because you're Kevin Nash and we expect it of you. <laughs> if the Young Bucks did that, there would be outrage. But hey, you know, if you happen to see Kevin Nash at a house show and you got your 45 quid's worth because you were able to appreciate him working smart and not hard, then more power to you. <laughs> but I would feel a lot of folks might feel a little hard done by mm. in that sense. But like, I don't begrudge anyone particularly in that mid 90s for for searching out something better and i think the thing that's important to realize when kevin nash left the world wrestling federation he went to wcw for a lot 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 more money with scott hall he was kind of doing something that hadn't really been done that much before which was basically playing the sides off against each other and taking advantage of what he knew was someone in eric bischoff who had a lot of money at his disposal and a great need and urgency to ramp up the excitement on his show but didn't necessarily have the experience in the wrestling business to be completely immune to all the tricks and the charm mm. and all that. He wrote Vince a letter saying, here's why I'm not I'm not coming back. You know, and I'm not quitting. I'm just not letting my contract roll over and be re-signed. Right. And I think that's kind of a classy enough thing to do. But we talked about it in the Scott Hall episodes. These guys pretty much wrote their own ticket. Yeah. And I still, to this day, am in awe at the amount of money they got and the limited schedule they got themselves on. Yeah. It is something... I mean, is that something to aspire to in wrestling? (laughs) 
No, not in wrestling, but I do think it's something to aspire to in capitalism. Yeah, in what sense? <laughs> in the sense that I think really that's like the dream, isn't it? To like get a job at some new company which has like more money than sense and you're kind of seen as like the veteran of the industry, even though we all know we're not really that much of a veteran. We're kind of still quite new compared he's, to some people. He's still, if you're talking about 96... He's only five or six years, really, that's yeah. that he's in it. When you think of, like, other people who are already signed with maybe, WCW. Maybe a little longer, but yeah, yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure Scott Steiner was with WCW. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, he'd had, like, a 20-year career at that Oh, point. yeah, I mean, he'd been wrestling a longer, much longer. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of people who are, who are wrestling a lot more for a lot longer. Yeah, for a lot uh, less. For a lot less. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, I feel that's like kind of the dream, though, of like being like working for a company where you know they have too much money and you have lots of time to kind of and freedom to kind of do what you want. And I feel like you and I have both been fortunate to be in certain jobs that have given us a little taste of that. Yeah, like obviously not even comparable really to what Paul and Nash went through, but I do no. think that is something to aspire to in a way, like within the world of capitalism when there is like too much money and CEOs and stuff going around and like none of it trickles down. Yeah, I mean like in my in my case it was working for a local millionaire in a very small town in the middle of England who decided he wanted to do this other, you know, string to his bow yeah. that anyone with half a brain could see was doomed to failure. But hey, if you want to pay me to come in eight hours a day to uh, sell pensions yeah and that no one wants literally just go on facebook <laughs> okay fine like and he and he literally be looking at me going uh do you want to go on facebook I'm like yeah all right like i'll, I'll, I'll do that you're like, just like texting me throughout the day that's yeah what I up to. <laughs> and that's how both the ash era podcast and this relationship started like was because of that job thank you local millionaire in uh, in lincoln but i do feel like the trouble is when you're doing it in something like an industry like professional wrestling like people are putting their physical livelihood on the line for this yeah. sake and so you do i feel if you have a position like that you have a certain element of responsibility to acknowledge that people are giving up much more than their time to do this they are giving and up the best years of, of their physique basically yeah i think a lot of workers went in into kevin nash's like headspace to kind of convince himself and fans and others that it's like well you know Anyone who would sense in a brain would have done what we did. Which yeah, is absolutely. Trying, which is absolutely fine. But I think you were really kidding yourself if you think the only person who really felt it was like Eric Bischoff and there's you a know, reason eric bischoff like ended up being like best buds with all of them and yeah. joined their little gang. Yeah, or like or Ted Turner or whatever. Like the yeah. reality is, and I think you know, something that's definitely happened in the last five years, we definitely noticed, you know, from doing this podcast, is certainly, like, people have kind of seen through the bullshit chat that, like, WCW was just a waste of time, and, you know, WC there was never anything as good as WWE, <laughs> and, you know, it was just kind of riding the coattails of WWE's success. Like, WWE wanted that narrative to be consumed, and a lot of people, myself included, you know, bought that for, for many, many years. I think AEW particularly shows that there is a great fondness and reverence and nostalgia for these years and what WCW had and it just kind of makes me sad that something that a lot of wrestlers and fans held so near and dear to their hearts was kind of really taken advantage Absolutely, of yeah. and there's no way you can convince me that they didn't run into the ground quicker yeah. It, I mean, it was probably going to go under anyway. There were so many problems. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, these guys were filling their pockets along the way. Yeah, and it's like, on the one hand, I can't really blame them because I do wonder if I was in that position whether or not I'd do the same thing because if you can, why wouldn't you? Like, we all want to do well in life and if someone else is, like, you know, throwing money into the trash, like, why wouldn't you want to save it before that happens? But 
I don't know. It's, it's the politicking and it's the being out for yourself and your friends and they're just the not helping anyone else. He described it as going into a country club with a shark tank attitude. Which is just going to a country club as a country club member. But like the idea that kind of everyone here like knows that you can kind of take it a bit easy. And even though he was planning on taking it a bit easier than he would have been in WWF, mm. you know, he was still resting quite, you know, quite quite a lot <laughs> you know he wasn't retired or anything yeah but the idea that like he was going to do anything it was to ensure that he got the max pay mm-hmm. like the creative control that extended to if bret hart's coming in we have a chat with nash and hall and hogan and make sure they're okay with his pay because they all get a pay rise because they all have stipulations in their contract that mean that if someone comes in getting seven figures they all get a little a little sweetener yeah and that's like that's mad. That's yeah. fucking mad. Like, at what point does that not start to sound like a pyramid scheme? <laughs> it's like Bret Hart's upline is Kevin Nash and his upline is Hulk Hogan. His upline is Bischoff and his upline is Turner. I mean, basically the NWO, this storyline yeah. that, that we come into here, then that is basically the world's greatest pyramid scheme. Because you get the three lads at the top, yeah. you know, who are really getting the fucking money. And then right down the bottom, you got like... They're all saying to the other guys, you can do just as well. You're not too late. Yeah, even though we're literally calling you guys the NWO B team. You know, <laughs> like you guys will... There's, there's a lot of potential here for you to, to maneuver and all that. Uh, I thought it was interesting kind of looking at the, the kind of the formation of the NWO and looking at the the impact of them coming in as like the outsiders into that company again and just realizing that Bischoff, you know, we talked about on this episode how he was basically straight up lying and saying like, hey, yeah, Vince McMahon's guys are coming to take over the company. And this is hot off the heels of, you know, the curtain call, that very controversial moment where all the members of the clique, when they were saying goodbye to each other, hugged at Madison Square Garden, you know, controversial as that apparently is. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting to hear them kind of hear chat and shoot interviews from Nash about how Hogan realized that Nash and Hall were like, those are the guys who know what's cool, so I'm going to stick with these guys, brother. Yeah. You know, Hogan managing to kind of parlay his stance from being like kind of a cringy early 90s, 80s nostalgia act into being a guy who was in a cool gang, you know, <laughs> throwing up gang signs, Hogan coming out with, you know, his fucking, with his bootcut jeans and his, his uh, high cool tops. Filled in beard that all the kids were rocking back in the day. What did you like, I mean, just seeing the footage again and all that, and like the idea of this kind of this gang coming out, mm. like, what did you think of like Nash's idea of this, you know, having this group coming in and pretending that we're actually going to destroy this company for real. I love it. It's so good. Genuinely one of the greatest ideas, I think, in the whole of the history of professional wrestling. It's so cool. It's such a good idea. What's so cool about it? Like, what? I mean, that says a lot that it's, you know... <laughs> like, you know, we've had in-depth chats about snake oil salesmen involved yeah. in this and all that, and you still think it's such a strong angle. It is, like. because, like, I think it only works because of kind of who's involved. Mm. Because Kevin Nash is genuinely the type of guy who... Anyone who went to a school and had any kind of... Um, remote affiliation with the cool jock in school who everyone liked. Is he the cool jock he's in school the, who everyone likes? He's the likes. cool jock in school everyone likes. And he had bad grades, but he had a friend who studied really hard and so he just like copied the answers. And he had the other friend who didn't drink, so he was the designated driver. And he had the other friend who was <laughs> hey! you know, the party stoner <laughs> who they could like laugh at and have fun with. So yeah, basically he's a very magnetic presence. Mm. And so it makes sense for them. You know, I think I think heels have always been more cool than baby faces. Yeah. I don't know if that really is true when you look back at like the 80s and the 90s, but for me as a 90s kid, 
you know, growing up then in the 2000s, heels have always been the coolest yeah, in like, my mind. Yeah, you know, he maintains that, you know, the, the the length and breadth they went to in the NWO angle. We will do a whole episode in the NWO. That is, that is a plan at some point for sure. But like, you know, he maintained that it was what the company needed was to have this like really hot group, which was full of all these like, you know, rag, you know, a ragtag bunch of like yeah. outsiders and all that who just beat everyone up. I wouldn't say it's outsiders. No, in fairness. Yeah, Hulk Hogan, notorious <laughs> outsider Hulk Hogan. Eventually Eric Bischoff. Yeah, notorious the- outsider oh, Disco Inferno. Like, you know, <laughs> come on, like. But um, the idea though, having all these guys, like you, you saw this shot when it was the three of them. It was Hogan, Hall and Nash. Yeah just walking around with baseball bats and mm. you were clapping going that's so cool yeah that's really cool like, it says a lot when like some of the people who are on the screen are on the screen you know well, <laughs> i know and i i you know it's well known that i do not like hulk hogan i hate hulk hogan but genuinely nwo early nwo hulk hogan is my favorite era of hogan mm. it's the only time i even remotely like him yeah he makes a very good heel, probably because he's a piece of shit, and that really does help. But it says a lot about Nash that, like, you know, Nash, uh, together with Hall, these were, like, the people who were in Hogan's ear and saying, mm. you need to turn heel, you need to do mm. this, you know, and Hogan didn't want anything to do with this. And, like, I think there's great skill, and it's a sign of true intelligence and management of people, and that may be some experience that he had, is you're able to present an amazing idea to someone but make them think it's their idea. Ah, and yes. they initially think the idea is terrible and not only do you manage to convince them it's a great idea, you go all the way around and they're like, hang on a second, what if I turned heel <laughs> and joined this outsider group, this new world organization, if you will? Uh, I think the way they, they managed it though, isn't it? It's because it's Hall and Nash, they did it first and they were mm. kind of like making out as though they were sent from the WWE to like infiltrate yeah. WCW. But before an actual cease and desist, by the way. Yeah. Where apparently there is some segment where they literally had to say plainly to camera, we are not affiliated yeah. with Vincent McMahon's World Wrestling Federation or Titan Sports Incorporated. Yeah. Or but by that point, it was too late and they were already really cool. But I think it was the look of these two massive, very handsome, like probably the two most handsome guys in the industry at that point. Oh, yeah. And can I point out as well, Nash with the non-boot polish hair. Yeah. Fuck off with that diesel oil yeah, in your hair. Yeah, no, long flowing blonde that golden lo- locks. My God. Shining next to Scott Hall with the jet black hair and the stubble. Like, they look so iconic together they look yeah. really cool and the nwo t-shirt is very cool as well like, they, they speak so effortlessly yeah as well, and they have great you know? charisma with each other they seem to be genuinely best of friends and genuinely having fun you just want to like share a beer with them so it, to me it's obvious that like that's how they got hogan to join them yeah. it's just like well, look, cool. look how much fun we're having yeah. look how cool we are look how with everyone it we are everyone loves us don't you want this and i find as well i keep hearing these random moments and you know something that was cool in the 90s like i thought dx was the coolest thing in the world in 1989 you know as a kid that's mm. why at age 12 i wore a hockey top that said suck it and the number 69 on the back oh good good idea there kevin at least how did I- you explain that to your parents I honestly don't know. I think they didn't know. Like, I think we were. Really? I think we were lucky enough that sixty nine hadn't penetrated my parents' generation. Wow! I could be very fucking naive right now saying that. Like yeah. all sorts going on in Ireland, like, you know. <laughs> but NWO, like you know, that was something that I heard was cool in the nineties, and I wasn't like I didn't watch WCW in the nineties, so it was always kind of looking back retrospectively, and it always strikes me as like, wow. Every time I go back and I watch DX stuff, it's like a new thing that makes me cringe and go, oh my <laughs> fucking God, Yeah, because you're not so eight years old. But I see these random things in the NWO. And yeah, there's a lot of cringe stuff with the NWO, but particularly the stuff with Hall and Nash and stuff like that. We watch these random bits. I'm like, that's so fucking cool. Yeah. Like, it's like, it goes against everything I think 
should be right or wrong in wrestling. I'm like, that's so fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that famous video of like Kevin Nash was meant to be in a match with the Giant, a young Big Show Paul White. And in the match, for whatever reason, they attempt to do the jackknife powerbomb. And he lands right in his fucking head. That was like one of the early botch clips that went around on Ebound's world. Like, look at him. He tried to powerbomb Big Show and he nearly killed the guy. And we watched this compilation of funny Kevin Nash NWO promos. And he's like, people are asking me, you know, what my reaction was seeing the giant dropped on his head like that. And he just starts laughing his head. He's like... And they like replay it over and over again with like you know banana peel sound effect, and like all those black and white NWO promos, like they're they're obviously very cool, but it just suits Nash particularly to a T. Yeah, you know him and Scott Hall in black and white standing on the ring apron pretending to wrestle jobbers so they don't have to show up for a show the day after. (laughs) You fuckers, that's so cool. Or like them just finding a big crate of nwo shirts in the back and they just take them out into the car park and they just sell them to the yeah. fans like in five minutes like god damn that's that's they went into the mainstream with this thing mm. you know i think the very rare the wrestlers actually like had that finger on the pulse nash knew it and he mm. knew how to to market it like you know you know there's a reason why kylie jenner wore an nwo Wolfpack t-shirt at one point it's trickle down coolness from kevin nash folks yeah, absolutely, <laughs> that's what it yeah. is nash of course like many people in the world of wrestling who's viewed as being charismatic, intelligent, and a bit of a politicker and knows how to kind of work his way around the backstage environment, ends up becoming head of the creative committee in WCW. Now, we heard so many, I would say, conflicting things about this. Yeah. What's your understanding about Kevin Nash's role and his enjoyment of his time as head of creative in World Championship Wrestling? I mean, before this episode, kind of the only thing I knew about it was that he was generally blamed as being the person who destroyed WCW <laughs> directly because of his booking. And that's not, it's so not fair when, like, I don't think booking could kill a, an entire company. No. And he's probably number three on the list of bad bookers that they actually had, yeah. you know, but anyway. So, and I know he, he takes massive issue with being blamed for that, and, and rightly so, mm. because it's not just his fault. It's lots of people are to blame. So, I mean, I knew it was a controversial booking run, but then mm. I knew that anyone who had any element of like booking control or creative control in WCW at that time, similarly, was regarded as being bad and destroying the business. I mean, it's a poison chalice. Yeah. I mean, no one... It's been pissed in already and then you just like <laughs> fill it up with more piss. Wait, you poisoned the piss? You didn't need to. It's already... Oh, why did I drink the piss? <laughs> uh, it is uh, interesting to hear him kayfabe commentaries that a group used to do these kind of guest booker shows. We watched a little bit of, of one of Nash's one where he's talking about essentially the impossible task of specifically booking in WCW mm. because they taped a two-hour show after they did a three-hour live show. Mm. So you basically had to do the five-hour show altogether. Yeah. But because of the way that the shows ran, they had to plan next week's show as well, mm. which also meant you had to plan next week's other show. So every time they sat down to write a TV show, they had to write four TV shows. Yeah. And they had to write 10 hours of television. Yeah, and then if someone got like injured in a match, they'd have to start all over again. Or the more likely thing, someone, one of maybe the dozens you've given it to now, might go, oh, I've got creative control. I wonder if creative control is one of those things where it's like, oh, I never think to use it. Yeah. I probably think that most people had it would think to use yeah. it. And then they go on the day of, actually, I don't want to do this, which means nine of your 10 hours are now fucking crap. <laughs> so 
the big charge that's labelled against him, and it's the match we're going to look at now, is that he booked himself into a world title programme with Bill Goldberg. And Bill Goldberg, who's a year into his career in WCW, he's 170-0 or whatever it is. Uh-huh. He's the world heavyweight champion. And it's the main event of Starcade. Kevin Nash is going to be taking on Bill Goldberg. And I shudder to think, given your stance on Goldberg, what your thoughts were going to be about this match. Were you dreading it when we went into it? No, not especially. Why Why is that? Do you think that these two would somehow gel or? No, I just, I tried to come in with open mind, you know. Oh, I like that. A benefit of a Goldberg match is they are often very short. That's true. And he can surprise you. He can surprise me. I don't hate Goldberg. Yeah, okay. That... Modern Goldberg I haven't got much time for, but classic Goldberg, I don't mind him. You might have been a classic Goldberg. Yeah. So here we are, Starcade 1999, as the head of the WCW booking committee, Kevin Nash, takes on Bill Goldberg for the WCW Championship. Starcade is basically their version of WrestleMania, in case I haven't told you that before. So this is like the main event of the biggest show of right. the year, basically. Okay. We had some confusion about whether Nash was actually involved with the creative committee at this point. Yes, because I can't remember which videos we watched. Was it Goldberg we watched a shoot interview with? There was an interview with Goldberg where he's like, <laughs> guy, guy just booked himself to beat me. Yeah, a, a few different people basically said that, that Kevin Nash booked this feud, this yeah. match specifically. But in several different interviews, Kevin Nash insisted that he didn't. He wasn't. He hadn't been signed as a booking agent or whatever you call them until February after the December that this match took yeah, place. Yeah, because he says, I've got my pay stub, because this is what I love, right? So many times in wrestling, if someone was asked, like, hey, creative meetings coming up, do you want to pitch in some ideas? Most wrestlers would probably jump at the opportunity. Yeah. Kevin Nash, he asked for a new contract. Right. Half a million a year on top of his performer's contract mm. for his booking committee head contract. Okay, yeah. And what it came down to, even though he said that his first pay stub is from February, and this match is in, like, late November, so it can't have been him, but apparently in early November... Bischoff decided to give all booking responsibility to this new committee, mm. which was in a informal capacity headed up by Kevin Nash, right. which also included Dusty Rhodes, Terry Taylor, a couple of other names, a couple of the wrestlers, like Disco Inferno was in there and stuff like that as well. And apparently, I think Kevin Sullivan on that committee, he suggested that they do like a crazy angle on Nitro where Nash beats Goldberg for the title. Right. You know, to kind of get some interest going. On Nitro. On Nitro. That wouldn't have broken Goldberg's streak, is that correct? I know, it would have still broken his streak. Okay, right. It just wouldn't have happened on pay-per-view. Right. And then apparently Nash was like, did we learn nothing about when we had Goldberg beat Hogan for the title? You get one big rating and then nothing will come from it. And then he proposes this big storyline involving him and the NWO kind of reuniting because they had split up into these two different groups. Nash had the Wolfpack and Hogan had the Hollywood group. And he had this big plan set up in motion. But apparently it wasn't until the very end of that year and the start of next year where Bischoff literally took that, you know, he took that sabbatical and he's like, I'm gone now, bye. Right. And then Nash was formally in charge. But the idea to beat Goldberg and take the belt off of him, that was already decided. Okay. By committee. Right. Which he was... Head of. Well, he wasn't head of, Joe, but he sat at the front of the table and he right. would open the meetings. Right. But is that the head of a meeting? I mean, I mean, I don't know about you, but most meetings I go to, anyone could start it, like, you right. know. He ain't taking minutes. He's the head of the meeting, like, he clearly did. <laughs> he was involved in this. Yeah. You know, it's just... 
But like, we had to go through fucking backflips through lasers to try and actually get to the bottom of this because he said so many different things about it. Yeah, and regardless, every time he was insistent that he was not head of booking at the time. Yeah, but uh, he he kind of was. Right. You know, just, just so we know, he 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 had a hand in this, is what I'm saying. Right, okay. You know, it's not as if he was against the idea of him going up against Goldberg in the main event. We have our video package to set us up for the WCW main event. So weird. You know, and you thought you had problems with age. But at least they'd have Jim Ross show up or Jim Ross wearing a different top show up and talk about how these guys are going to have a match, I guess. But uh, this this set new lows. This was just, it was just clips of Kevin Nash and Goldberg yeah. set to choir music. And they were in black and white as well. They were in blue and white. Blue and white. <laughs> because what? they were surrounded by clouds. Yeah. And there was no dialogue, not a single word of dialogue to give context to this match or feud. Well, I don't really know what the storyline is. I this. think the story is literally like Kevin Nash, head of the Wolfpack. He's he's the main event. He's challenging for the title. Okay. And he's never won the world title before in WCW at this point, Nash. Right. You know, uh, a couple of years into his run. And I would say, like, even though, like, the NWO thing, like, you know, it, it got less popular. It got way too big. It got fucking ridiculous. When you've got, like a faction and then it splits into two factions and they feud with themselves right you know but the wolf pack was still very popular so you know it made sense he was a very popular guy this was kind of face versus face but the wolf pack were kind of bad guys who acted cool so they were kind of popular you know it fucking, it's, obviously it's fucking confusing yeah. you know you know it's bad when he says the main event of wcw nwo starcade what like who what <laughs> i do like michael buffer saying WCW Board of Directors and the Washington DC Boxing Commission have sanctioned this match. Don't know why. It makes it feel big and real. Yeah. You know, there has to be paperwork had to be filed out for this <laughs> one. What do you think of this iteration of Kevin Nash with the cool wolf pack music? He's got the big blonde hair, he's got the fucking tassels, a lot of fireworks. What do you think of Big Daddy Cool here? I think this might be peak Nash. I, I'm inclined to agree. He's got a mane. He looks that amazing. Fucking hair, man. Looks so cool. The, the kind of stubble. Yeah. You know, where it's like, uh, not really shaved. Yeah. But he probably has to get it to be that exact length. <laughs> I think there's a lot more effort into his look than he's kind of putting on here. Yeah, I think so. Because you were asking me, you were like, how come Kevin Nash's hair seems so special and unique compared to... And like, they're like rubbing my hands to my hair. Why is his hair so <laughs> shiny? Because <laughs> like, you were like, yeah, because there's no one else with hair like him. I was like, yeah, there is. There's like Chris Jericho and Triple H and Test and all these other guys. Like, There's loads of guys with long blonde hair. But... Kevin Nash is the only one, as far as I can tell, who seems to, like, you know, his hair is smooth and shiny. It's not frizzy when he yeah. wrestles. He hasn't got loads of conditioner in it. It's not greasy. I think he has highlights as well, because his hair isn't naturally blonde. It's not fluffy, though, you know? it's it's no? It looks a little slept in, almost. A little bit, yeah. That's what makes him cool! Yeah. Oh, God damn it! I you know what? It took me a long time, like, because I remember, like, I hated him so much during my teen years in my early 20s mm. I'd roll my eyes every time I saw him but like let me tell you right now that's one cool fucking customer right he there is. he is very cool and Kevin Nash seems so much cooler than Goldberg here yeah <laughs> Goldberg seems like a nervous little boy yeah and why in his entrance they had Goldberg do the little he signed a shirt for a kid yeah just backstage some random kid headbutt a locker mate yeah, come on let's get a limo into at it, least like. <laughs> This match is announced as being no disqualification. 
And Goldberg has got a lot of fans in the audience because we see one of the weirdest signs that I've ever seen from a wrestling fan. It was a special um, tongue egg sign. Oh, the tongue egg. That's a good little Goldberg egg. If you want to see what Goldberg would look like as like a go-go, uh, yeah. that, that's what it looks like right there, folks. Um, I counted the number of bumps in this match, Joe. I've got a tally here for Big Sexy. Yeah. I've got a tally here for Goldberg. Okay. 20 minute main event minus mm. entrances a lot, and a lot of posturing what's your guess for let's go with Goldberg first how many how many bumps do you think Goldberg took in this match and by the way a bump isn't dropping to one knee or or sitting onto your bum a bump is literally when like your back makes full contact with the mat from a standing or near standing position that's my that's my rule okay sorry for Goldberg for Goldberg how many times do you think Goldberg left his left his feet and landed on his back it feels like he left his feet less than Nash you're did. right yeah you're right he did I'm gonna say five times three times for wow. for big match Bill Goldberg my god big daddy cool big sexy what do you reckon seven yes exactly really? yes yeah, seven wow seven bumps and you know what I was genuinely surprised. Yeah, I thought it would be like three. <laughs> and, and I found myself at the end of this match then being like, oh, well, fair play from Kevin Nash. I didn't think I'd be having to get into the second column for my tally here. <laughs> and I found myself then enjoying this match because I had set my standards in my mind so low that I thought in the main event of a WrestleMania caliber show for the world title with the biggest streak in wrestling on the line, I thought the man would do less than seven bumps. That's good though. <laughs> so in total, we got a grand total of 10 bumps. Yeah, that's so bad. Is Double digits. How Mathematically, it's a 20-minute match, so... What that's it's one every two minutes. Oh, Joe. one every two minutes, sorry, and that's yeah. including entrances, right? So yeah, it's a lower, lower amount than you would probably expect for that. But it, it, it's as you would expect. There's posturing early on. I was wondering what your thoughts were about the idea of a match where Kevin Nash is like the general, the guy in charge, <laughs> leading the young guy Goldberg through mm. through it. Goldberg maintains that, uh, you know, or at, at points I should say, maintains that uh, Nash gave him loads of bad advice and was like trying to destroy his career. Oh right. I don't know. Like Nash, he, he maintains that he's the reason why Goldberg got a million dollar contract. So mm. I don't know. But like, did it seem like Kevin Nash was the man in charge no. here? No. No, not. <laughs> at all not at all i actually don't have any notes in this match for anything that kevin nash does joe he busted out a cross arm breaker at one point he did a move goldberg stops to sign the boy's shirt <laughs> silly goldberg face trollberg goblinberg you mean what do you mean i prefer trollberg trollberg is good yeah big spit into the hand oh that was it he did the big spear he speared Nash, yeah. and he fucking Jesus Christ, and he he fucking ran right it's through a good him. Spear, yeah. And then he spat in the ground, and then he spat in his hand, and, and then he touched Kevin Nash. What the hand. fuck? It that's disrespectful, that's rude. right there. And then Goldberg does a spin kick. That was very cool. Yeah, I like that. And then Scott Hall comes out dressed as event staff, but you can't tell it's Scott Hall because you can't see his face, and you can only tell it's him because on commentary they go. That's Scott Hall. You were completely blown away. I didn't they, believe it was him. We had Bam Bam and Disco coming out running interference. And it's, it's so fucking ridiculous that like literally the match gets into second gear and really gets going once other people come out yeah. to take bumps for these lads. And you actually didn't even recognize, yeah, Scott at all. You were no. like, an event, Joe went, an event staff has just attacked Goldberg. <laughs> like, literally the ideal WCW fan. What's going on, Tony Schiavone? <laughs> Taser Timon in the house here. Yeah, he's after. Yeah, him. he's got a proper taser. I thought that actually, in terms of a 
taser spot in wrestling. That was really good. The noise of it, yeah. and the way Goldberg solo, really and the way good. Razor was like, yes. yeah, <laughs> worked really, 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 well. really good. Then we got a jackknife, a big fucking floaty jackknife for Goldberg that he spins around 180 degrees and lands right back on his feet. And we go to 173 and one. Kevin Nash ends Goldberg's streak, hmm. controversial fashion. And Nash will always be the first person to point out he never once said, I beat Goldberg's streak, or never made a deal about it, or never said, I'm the man who ended Goldberg's streak, which I don't think is much as a badge of honor as in, like, why wouldn't you? Like, if mm. someone ends Goldberg's streak, shouldn't that be, like, a big thing? Yeah, like, I know that Brock Lesnar ended The Undertaker's streak. Yeah, because Paul Heyman never fucking shut up about it. Yeah. <laughs> why? What's the point of doing it if you're not going to brag about it? Why would you do it then? I don't. Well, there is a confusing tale as to why they did what they did, and we'll see if we can make sense of it and see if it's all very easily explained as Nash maintains. Want to know your thoughts on this main event, though? You didn't have much in the way of notes in terms of the action, but how did it strike you? Were you engaged with it? It was a main event of a big show, probably the biggest show of their of the year for them. I hate this. If you I had stayed up to watch this show, I'd be so angry. Why did you hate it? It was really boring. It was rubbish. It was crap. There was no proper wrestling, no bumps. Did you get the sense that they were like... Because, I mean, you know, there is that great skill where it's like, we're doing fuck all and the people are going, whoa! Yeah, nah, the crowd are dead. No one gives a shit. Like, there's the crowd no, knew. There's no character work either. Yeah. Like, who is this for? It doesn't even seem like Nash and Goldberg are having fun. Like, mm. Goldberg seems nervous and Nash seems bored. That's not a good no, vibe for your main event. No, it's a main event. <laughs> So I, I dare ask, what did you give the, uh, what did you give the the rating for it then? I gave it one star. One it's, star. It fucking count yourself lucky that I gave it one. Is this a damning indictment of Kevin Nash, the performer? If that... this is his example of being a ring general, absolutely, this is terrible. I will say, like, it's, it's, it's me here now who's got this fucking rock bottom expectation, and it's like, well, Nash, he he took a power slam, he did a cross arm breaker, he did like a couple of moves. <laughs> wow. He. A professional wrestler. And really? There was a part where Goldberg grabbed his leg and he pushed him on the ground. He, wow. he went down. That had never happened before as well. So um, mm. my standard was so fucking low. Yeah. But I think that's my standard is only low because I have like a lifetime of like of viewing him a certain way, mm. which I don't think I would have had if I was watching that show live. I would yeah. have expected a main event. I kind of got vibes from. Remember when we did Sandman? Him and Carlito had that match. Oh, yeah. Like I would. That was entertaining at least because they were having fun. Yeah, there was actually a camaraderie there. And of, the like, audience as well were like, "Yeah, these lads. This is shit." Yeah. Whereas it felt like Goldberg was like having a panic attack in this yeah. match, and Nash was like leaving his body by all means necessary. Mm. So, where this went to, and the reason why they did this. Was the next night, the reason, the only reason why they did this was the next night Goldberg, it's it's announced to Nash that, yeah, yeah, you, you actually, you only won because of interference. And Nash was like, what? I didn't know this. Oh, I need to prove myself I'm a real what, man. So he didn't know that Scott Hall interfered? He pretended he didn't know. Well, did he not see Bam Bam Bigelow? He, he didn't realise that they were they were trying to interfere on his behalf. He didn't realise that it was Scott Hall. He didn't see it, you see. He, he said he didn't know and he wanted to challenge Goldberg to a rematch because he didn't want to win the belt in a dirty way. Okay. But then, in all their wisdom, WCW, with the top babyface who'd just been scorned the night before, they decided to do an angle where Goldberg gets arrested for stalking Miss Elizabeth. And then oh. Kevin Nash is like, Hulk Hogan, you NWO Hollywood son of a bitch. I know that you just made that up to get Goldberg 
to be sent to prison to deny the fans the match they want to see. So tonight it's going to be Wolfpack versus Hollywood as I defend the world title against you, Hulk Hogan, and I'm going to beat your ass. And then what happens was they came out and Hogan finger poked him and then just pinned him one, two, three and won the belt. And then the NWO reformed into a big super group. And then a couple of weeks later, Bill Goldberg got upset and punched a limo. So the big angle they had just kind of ended. Why did he get upset? Um, because they told him to punch a limo and he thought he could do it. Oh, that was then we talked about the Goldberg episode. It was, they told him to put the special gimmick in his hand right. and he got upset about it. And they're like, no, I'm not going to do that. I can punch the window myself. Oh, and that's where, you know, he lacerated all of his yeah, arm. Yeah, broke his arm. And that was it yeah. then. The whole angle was was for now. Um, to be fair, I feel the moment that you turn the storyline into Goldberg is a stalker of the most beloved woman in wrestling, you've probably already dug that grave hasn't she fucking suffered enough like to put the indignity of that but, like, like that's real fucking harsh for goldberg yeah as well. like, is he not supposed to be a face he at is. this point and like I she mean, is the most she miss elizabeth is genuinely like people who haven't listened to our macho man episode i cannot emphasize enough she's the princess diana of professional wrestling she has never been healed she is always always beloved yeah, by everyone like she was you know with randy when he was in the nwo but it was still miss elizabeth yeah you know? she it's... was still a good person but again like who's you know who's fucking great idea was that well you know you were sitting at the head of the table that decided let's do this yeah that's a really weird thing to be like yeah i'm gonna book to end your streak and also to add insult to injury we've decided you're a stalker now yeah <laughs> You're a sex pest, Goldberg. That's why he looked like he was having a panic attack. He knew it was coming. coming. He knew that the Miss Elizabeth fans would be out to get his blood. Does that make you feel a bit more sorry or a little more empathetic towards Goldberg now? Yeah, definitely. Especially seeing as like, you know, he was he was given a unique situation with his career in that he was like kind of chosen to be the chosen one yeah. and he was like kind of told ah you're the king of this company now and you're special and no one no one will ever be better than you and then he's like kind of given an easy ride and then this happens yeah that's like that's like playing in the kiddies pool for your entire life and then being pushed into the open sea with sharks i like the thing about it with, with regards to nash i always viewed it is like I was always perplexed. I was like, if you, you know, were the booker or whatever, even if you weren't the booker and you got to end Goldberg's streak and win the world title, he'd never won the world title in in WCW at that point. And at the main event of their biggest show of the year, wouldn't you want like a nice long run with that belt to be on top and be like the big superstar and make the big paychecks Mm. or like get even more merch money or anything like that? I was always like, why, why would you agree or why would you propose as a creative person to be like hey i should lose the belt to hogan straight away yeah and like it just kind of dawned on me like you know in later years it was like he doesn't give a shit no like for someone like a bret hart or on the other kind of end of the experience spectrum for a goldberg yeah the world title it means everything it means yeah. a lot nash doesn't give a shit he's getting half a million a year to write this fucking shit as well as the couple million he's getting to <laughs> bring out the old yeah. seven bump performances no, nash like. is like me in that he doesn't understand or care about the value of title belts <laughs> but unlike me he is a professional wrestler yeah but you would at least want the belt to hold up your pants so you'd appreciate it as a piece of kit at least yeah. right you know so nash finds himself you know uh throughout 1999 kind of bearing the brunt as being the head of this creative team of like you know there's injuries there's people who are gone like scott's gone you know you've got injuries from lex luger hogan gets an injury there's lots of people who are on the outs and like i was we watching this shoot interview with him talking about how hard it was 
you know, to, to book. And we're like, we're, we were getting kind of sympathetic with him. And he's like, you know, there came a time where like the only guy I had who could go out there, you know, and be a character on TV was, was Ric Flair. And, you know, that's why I put him in that storyline where he's in the insane asylum. And we're like, what? Wow. You motherfucker, like. <laughs> so, yeah, he does end up being removed from the creative committee, uh, you know, not before appearing on WCW Thunder and doing very passive-aggressive commentary where he's like, God. paying me too much money for this. Like, to say he came across as a bit unprofessional is, um, you know, in, towards the end of his run in WCW, yeah. Can you imagine if a woman did anything like that? Fuck Can off. Can you like, literally imagine even, like, even one tiny minute of an instance of Kevin Nash's career done by a woman? The closest we've gotten to a Kevin Nash career moment for a woman is Gail Kim exactly. eliminating herself. Exactly. And she was fucking black blacklisted yeah. and Nash was literally on TN literally on TBS going the fucking executives need to make back some of their money brother because yeah. they just wasted half a million on me yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like fucking legend Way. we love him yeah. uh, I didn't know if it came as much of a surprise that when WCW went under Nash was one of the guys who had the guaranteed money unlike DDP he didn't take a risk and go back to Vince he just healed up for the year you know took that he got a couple million dollars out of it Again, like, you know, reaping the benefits of the position that he found himself in. Yeah, and you know? that's, like, the perfect thing for someone like him as well, because, like, obviously, if you do love wrestling, and that's, like, your... That's why you do it, is, is for the wrestling, the joy of wrestling, rather than the paycheck, then absolutely, yeah. It's good that people like Kevin Nash sat down and just took the money. Yeah. You don't need to be wrestling right now. You don't want to be wrestling right now. I don't think people want you to be wrestling right now either. I, I think like a lot of people are going to probably view what we're saying as being like, kind of, oh, we're like, you know, chastising the character of the man and all that stuff. But like, you know. I think he'd say it himself. The, it was his, his decision. Ha- his Hall of Fame speech, he said, people wanted to know if I just did it for the money. And the answer is yes. He's <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, okay. he's allowed to. Yeah. You know, that's fine. It's a job. You know? it, it, it is kind of like, it is interesting though to kind of see that you can only have that attitude. I think it can only get you so far though. Because like, you know, when it comes time, you know, in 2002 to bring him back, you know, himself and Hogan and Nash into the fold, you know, he said that apparently they did like a, a vote amongst the, the wrestlers and the, the staff. I was like, who wants him back? And it was literally 95% didn't want them back. Because <laughs> he's a horrid bully. And like, you can just imagine, this is, this is 2002, Joe. This is before all the shoots have come out, before all the tell-all books have come out. Yeah. You know, this is just kind of based on what people already just kind of know. And there's a lot that people didn't know back then. That says a lot. Like, the guy had a fucking toxic um, uh, reputation at that point. Yeah. He finds his way back into WWE, but it is unfortunately not a very successful tenure. The NWO revamp in 2002, much like the ECW revamp, was a very much a case in point of Vince McMahon not knowing the toy that he coveted from the kid across the street. He didn't know how it worked, so he broke it and then blamed it on his parents for not working and <laughs> got a new thing instead. Um, Nash's knee injuries. Oh. This is something we probably need to talk about because it really kind of came to the forefront here. And this is when I first was introduced to Kevin Nash, really, was, was around this time. And uh, I, I, it was like a joke with me and my friends who watched wrestling. This guy, he had like 12 knee surgeries or whatever it was. Ha ha ha. He's going to injure his knee. He can't wrestle because his knees are going to get hurt. Ha ha ha. Yeah. Here him lumbering around. Click, click, click. He's going he's gonna to break his knee again. And like that wasn't aided by the fact that 
Like, he was literally off wrestling for nine months, and then he's like, I'm going to wrestle tonight. And I showed Joe the footage. I was embarrassed to do so. (laughs) Hot tag to Big Sexy, here he comes. Ah! And he's just right down. There's no one I would rather that happen to than Kevin Nash. I'm I'm glad it happened to him. Joe! I'm sorry, I am. Are you saying that with the benefit of hindsight, knowing that he's okay now? Yes, obviously. But, like, look. I I wouldn't think you'd wish that on. (laughs) No, I don't say I wish it on him. I don't wish it on anyone. I don't think there's a better person it could have happened to. Right. Because it's so humiliating. It like, is humbling, isn't you, it? If you love professional wrestling and you identify as, I am a professional wrestling fan and I'm a professional wrestler and I am a master of my craft and I work 12 hours a day to do this as my job and I love it. And then that happens to you in the middle of a match. That's awful. But he doesn't give a shit. Okay, it's he's, he's still gonna get paid. It's really painful and it is slightly embarrassing. But we all know Kevin Nash can make fun of himself, so he doesn't care about that respect. And he gets paid for time off. He's probably happy for it. Yeah. So that's what I mean when I say right. there's no one else I would rather it happen to. Yeah, because I don't think Kevin Nash would have been down in the down the tracks or whatever, busting his ass to come back, you know. Or like like, Seth Rollins' yeah, or WrestleMania Cena. documentary like Bleh. Yeah, like literally I'm gonna cry myself into fucking a state and I'm gonna work out so much and yeah. rehab so much i'm gonna come back in half the time nash is like how long are you giving me you know yeah. i'll be back then and you know <laughs> he still had his you know he had his his big match with triple h or whatever but like for me like as a kid i had a kevin nash action figure you know when i was like you know 13 or 14 or whatever it was and like there was a part of me that thought like you know the part of him that i loved was the big he just looked cool and you know, he did have that air about him but like as a wrestler i thought like and I, this was someone who didn't really care about quality of wrestling as a kid. I just thought he was boring when I watched him wrestle. Yeah. I remember they had him in Triple H in a Hell in the Cell match. And I remember like thinking, I'm not going to be a wrestling fan anymore. Because they've given me a Hell in the Cell match. And it was so bad. Well, he is a boring wrestler. Like, he walks like an... He moves like an old man. And, you know, I'm not saying that's like a uniquely Kevin Nash problem. Like, I think that's an issue with his size. Any, well, they- any big wrestler moves... Like they're older than they are. But you saw, remember, it was a couple of years back where he ha- finally had the full knee replacement with, oh, right. with stem yeah, cell yeah. therapy. The man was damn near crippled for his entire career. Yeah. Like his legs were like whatever bend in the wrong way. Like this is bending on the wrong axis. Yeah, you you can see early on in his career his his legs bend in a way that they shouldn't. Yeah, and he's he's. It's not as if like oh we watched some '95 Nash and he was fucking moving around. No, and no, she, no. no, he like he he had that injury like way back in his basketball days. Yeah. So like yeah, I mean it's honestly a miracle that he he got through his wrestling career in many respects because he had so many of those knee scopes and those little surgeries just to get him, you know, kind of put back together again. And if he had wrestled like the style that maybe was expected of him, he wouldn't have had the long career that he had. He definitely would have, he'd have had a, he would either have burned out because he didn't love wrestling enough to keep doing it that long with that amount of energy, or he'd have injured himself in a career-ending way and he wouldn't have been able to earn money, and that wouldn't have been his goal then. And I think, you know, you've got to view the mindset as well of Nash at this point. Even if his moveset and his style hasn't you know changed much or if he's not necessarily slower or anything like that... But, like, you know, he spent several years with Hogan, you know, in, in his ear. And, you know, this is where he really learns that, yeah, you don't need to... You can phone it in. You know, yeah. you don't need to do 120 miles an hour all the time. Mm. And, you know, his time in WWE kind of went out with a bit of a fizzle. Because I think there was a lot of us who were watching at the time assumed that he would become, like, a big, big star around that time. And it, it just didn't happen. But it didn't feel like he didn't become a big star because Vince didn't want him or he got buried. It just felt like, oh, he got injured when it was the time was wrong and 
that was it. They didn't want him anymore. Yeah. And then he goes over to TNA, which was a company that I was watching very religiously back in those days. And their big, big pay-per-view. Their big, 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 big pay-per-view. Bound for Glory, which is like their WrestleMania. And Kevin Nash is coming in. They've just gotten on cable TV. They're going to be seen in more homes than ever before. And Kevin Nash is going to be in the main event against Jeff Jarrett. He's going to take the belt off him. Nash injured his knee right before the, the event. Uh... And this is like, this was me kind of officially going... Fuck you then. Like I was I was I was betrayed as a fan by this guy getting injured. And like that's no way to to view a wrestler. But what came next was something that I or no one could have foreseen, which were the now infamous and genuinely some of the greatest stuff I have ever watched in professional wrestling, and some of the most that you and I have ever laughed together at wrestling, are the many Dr. Nash slash paparazzi production segments with Alex Shelley. Chris Sabin, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, Kurt Angle, etc., etc. Talk me through uh, Dr. Nash and how he found himself in this kind of post-main event world. Well, I feel like I haven't seen Dr. Nash, really, because all the clips we saw were mostly of Kurt Angle just talking at him, and you actually don't get to see Nash really at all. Yeah. So the main examples I think I saw were more of the paparazzi, paparazzi production yeah. stuff and it was basically just him so yeah it's just like a series of like little silly skits it's like the type of thing that you might see on AEW's like well like being the elite being the elite yeah that type of you're stuff you're being generous I am being generous <laughs> that's what being the elite aspire to be this <laughs> you heard it here now that's it <laughs> but basically they're these kind of like short skits where Kevin Nash would talk about like his run in WCW or his run in WWE and he'd say like oh I was the, the biggest draw ever in WWE's history or I earned the company the most amount of record breaking money the one I love is like you know when I took the strap off Backland you know 50,000 in in the garden that night and and Alex Shelley goes I thought the garden only holds 22,000 she's like well, hell, 50,000 that night, let me tell <laughs> yeah. you. And you know what it really was? Because it's 04. I think he was looking at the likes of like extras. Do you know, think? Where you had people like you know Ben Stiller and stuff like that playing these kind of exaggerated versions of themselves where it's like, oh, this is what you know about me because of what you've heard. Mm. I'm going to ham it up and play into yeah. it. And like him with his fucking graph implying that he made more money than Stone so Cold Steve good. Austin. He's, so good. You're going to go a little aberration here for, you know, for, for for Rocky, obviously. But, you know, when you look at my money, it's obviously uh, quite, a, quite, a, quite a bit. <laughs> anyway, he's just he's done himself with his little marker. Yeah. And the idea is, is that he's kind of, he tried to come into the main event and he got injured and then he's reappeared and he's talking to these X Division guys and they're all young and X Division's meant to be these kind of young high flyers. Yeah, and he's like, I want you to teach me how to be like one of you guys. Like, yeah, because I, I reckon I could do this X Division yeah. shit easily with my eyes closed. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, no worries, brother. We'll, we've got your back. We'll teach you. We'll show you the ropes and everything. And this is playing off as well. I don't know if I mentioned it, but like Nash, particularly when he was head of creative in WCW, was notorious for overlooking the, the smaller technical guys, the <laughs> likes of Benoit and Jericho and all that because he the term that he used apparently was vanilla midget oh right which is again the diamond dozen no one ever it's never anyone's favorite and they're little you right. know so they're no good okay. so you know x division is like we're gonna throw that on its head so the idea of this guy coming into the x division you know it's like how dare you you know it was great though because you have these bits of like them being like right kevin so um what you want to do is like you bend over here and you you grab your opponent by the uh by the shoulders and the back and then you kind of like you like reverse splash 450 off the top right yeah, it's a reverse planche yeah. it's pretty pretty simple and he's yeah. like right yeah i think i got it like this <laughs> no no kevin, like. not quite kevin that was that was just a punch here we go let's, let's do it again you do it to me this time right okay got it 
<laughs> no, Kevin, that's that's just a punch again. Oh, I see. There's something we're not quite getting here. I just love it. He would do all these things where he take these like random X Division guys and he'd like give them like a psychology test and then he'd like assign them new gimmicks and stuff like that. And, like we got like this is like where you started to see people like remember in our Macho Man episode we talked about how Jay Lethal started doing the the impressions and all of that. It was through the paparazzi production yeah. skits where it happened, and like it was funny. I thought it was a great piece of business because it made me appreciate Kevin Nash in this whole new way. Yeah, he was the last person in the world that I thought because I never thought in my million years that any wrestler would like not take themselves seriously, <laughs> particularly one who people make fun of. Yeah, for being lazy. Like I remember when I first met Adam Bibolo. And uh, he was, he was, he would draw these little wrestling caricatures, and he'd say, "Name a wrestler, I draw him." And I was like, "Draw Kevin Nash." And he drew Kevin Nash with like his eyes half open, with a T-shirt that said "BLB, Big Lazy Bastard." <laughs> and like, it literally was a point where if I was ever feeling a little bit tense, I'd be like, "Adam, show me Nash there," and he'd just go through his <laughs> sketchbook and <I'd> be like, <laughs> and like a lot of this because like you know Nash kind of poked fun at himself. Yeah. And like not many wrestlers, we talk about like, you know, Brett and Sean and all that. And I think they don't take themselves as seriously now. There's a difference between not taking yourself seriously and actually like parodying yourself about the things that people like hate about you. Yeah, because I feel like Sean Michaels and Bret Hart are aware of what people make fun of them for, but they would never make fun of themselves for it. Whereas Kevin Nash is very well aware of what people make fun of him for and joins in on it because he realizes that's the best way to get people to like think you're funny is to just go along with it well my favorite part of the angle i know it's kind of shit because it was building to him taking on the x division champion chris saban i thought like oh man imagine if he won the belt you've got big sexy kevin nash with these fucking four moves is going to be like the x division champion this is the division that gave us aj styles samoa joe you know that triple threat match that we watched that we raved about with christopher daniels you know it's it's like it felt like sacrilege and then it came to the events and nash I never knew if it was real or not, but he showed up in a wheelchair and he's like, yeah, I hurt myself. I can't, I can't. Alex, you got to go do it for paparazzi productions. Like not just in a wheelchair though, but with like a neck yeah, brace. Yeah, like literally like, fucking, if he came in with a Star Trek gimmick with the beeping dot on yeah. it, like, you know. And we watched uh, him on Stone Cold Sessions and Austin was like, tell me about your run there in TNA. What was it like working for, you know, Dixie Carter down there in Nashville, uh, down there in the Impact Studios in Florida. And he's like, man, I was like a 40 minute drive from my house. I'd go, I'd do TV. I'd go across the road to the Ramada and I'd eat two cheeseburgers. It was the best time of my life. <laughs> and he honestly, he phoned it in. He he wrestled plenty, mm. you know, but he wrestled the exact thing that he could do. And that was all he people kind of expected of him. Yeah. You get, you know, here and there, some kind of like, oh, okay, that match was a little bit more than something. But he was mostly tag stuff. Or, you know, he was involved in groups like the main event Mafia, or he was teamed up with Eric Young and stuff like that. He wasn't a hard-working man, but the best thing that happened to him during that time was that he let himself go all white, mm. and he had this long white hair and that white goatee. And that's kind of the, the basis for the, the sketch that Dan did. Yeah. And it kind of felt like he was this elder statesman of professional wrestling that could lend this air of credibility to a company that, you know, was more than happy to give him... I mean, sure, he wasn't making millions, but he was making six figures and eating six burgers. <laughs> so he does eventually find his way back into WWE. Years and years later, it's 2011, he comes back for an appearance at the Royal Rumble. He comes back as Diesel. It's a big feel-good moment. And then fans are kind of sitting and waiting, like kind of thinking, all right, he's going to have a run, right? Because he was wrestling in TNA. He's going to have a run. 
he didn't want to dye his hair black but Vince was like no 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 fans want to see his diesel so mm. dye your hair all jet black and I, your beard like we saw some of them here now where he's got the, the boot polish and the fucking the, the so marker bad. he looks like Steven Seagal oh show he does <laughs> So it's like, all right, you know, they're bringing him back and you kind of get the sense that maybe it's going to be a bit of a nostalgia act. And they bring him in for this big angle. And I can't tell you, maybe we'll figure out in our in our upcoming episode, more on that in a little bit. But they inserted him into the CM Punk Summer of Punk angle with the pipe bomb promo. And like, this is the, the biggest thing. We're going to, you know, it's, it's one of the biggest things in wrestling. I'm sure you've heard people talk about it a lot since Punk has returned to wrestling. And it made out that he was going to wrestle cm punk and that was going to be a feud and then all these moments where he would come out and be like you know little skinny midgets like you should be thanking me for for making this business cool so there's even a place for you to be and then cm punk would be like oh look it's kevin nash lol he's old look how dyed his hair is <laughs> and then from there they just drop it and then they make it into this match that we're going to watch now which is kevin nash versus triple h oh. in a sledgehammer ladder match right now, this is the last match that we watch. We did a lot of watching for Kev. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering if the sledgehammer ladder match felt like a fitting fitting rule set for Big Sexy at age, I think he's 47 here. Mm. What do you think to the, to the rules for this one? So there's a sledgehammer hung above from the ceiling. If only you could see Joe's face right now. <laughs> and they have to climb the ladder. Well, they don't have to climb the ladder. They have to win, pinfall of submission. But whoever acquires the hammer first can use it in the match. Okay, so if you acquire the ladder, if you acquire the hammer, yep. you can use the hammer. You can also use the ladder as well, it seems. Yeah, because it's no disqualification, I think. So I think. You could just use a table or a ladder or a chair or really any weapon you can get your hands on or interference from a friend. That's the problem about this match is that... Um, I would have thought from a ring psychology standpoint that Kevin Nash would have opted to not bother with the ladder and just yeah. try and beat him without it. Um, there are plenty of promo, there are plenty of shoot interviews where he literally is just asked about this match and he rolls his eyes and he's like, they put me in a fucking ladder match. Like, what yeah. do you expect? Yeah, I cannot think of two people I would less like to see in a ladder match than Triple H and Kevin Nash. So here it is. I thought here we could is. see a little slice of, uh, of, of, of Nash uh, in his older age. What's the story going into? We did have a very dramatic video package. Talk me through what's going through these men's minds. We didn't just have blue and white and orchestral music this time, folks. No, I don't remember this story, to be honest. I, I remember that Triple H is the face. Yeah. But he, he's firing Kevin Nash for some reason. Yeah, he's he's meant to be the face. And Cole says when he's introducing the video package, this fight has come about because of misunderstandings between two former best friends. Yeah. And it cuts to Triple H in a suit. And it's like, he's the COO. It's like him in a suit looking all like corporate. And he goes, in this business, you can make friends or you can make money. And then it shows him punching Kevin Nash and firing him. Mm. And he's the good guy. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes you have the corporate guy who's like, I don't have any friends and beats someone up and then fires the one guy who was his friend. Okay, so here's my new rule, I think, about professional wrestling. I've, I've decided this recently. Okay, please, please tell me. If you wear a suit as a man in professional wrestling, you are a heel. I think that's fair. I think that should be universal. If you wear a suit, you, you are a heel now. Or you could be like an Adam Page sort and wear like a suit... 
and be a good guy but have like a cowboy shirt and look down at your shoes going well I just wore my, my cowboy boots I think you should be allowed to wear a suit on a special occasion yeah 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 obviously but coming out generally speaking but generally speaking, yeah like anyone who wears a suit day to day is a heel I just, I just can't think of someone in a suit as a good guy why well, would you well maybe that's maybe Nash knew that knew that Triple H was wearing the suit and he came across as such a heel and that's why he opted for all like the tap out shirt with a crucifix made out of skulls or whatever right. it is to somehow wear clothes that were even more despicable yeah. so that's what it was and Triple H says never mind about my neck Kevin Nash has broken my heart <laughs> <laughs> So, um, yeah, I kind of like got a big pop in this because in the video package, they showed Kevin Nash beating the shit out of Triple H with a hammer. Yeah, well. And that was fun. Not like. really, though. I, I, you know what? No. They did make him seem like when they, it reminded me of Diesel throwing all them referees around. When they had Nash, like, kind of pull Triple H out of the ambulance, everyone's like, please, big sexy, just stop. And he's like, no, I'm big. You can't stop me. Mm. And everyone's like, oh, well, he's just going to do it then. Do you know what, though? The trouble is, because WB loves to repeat themselves so much, that just made me think of the Braun Strowman, Roman Reigns stuff. Yes. Which was right. done so much better. Yeah, right, yeah. Because, I mean, there's a bit of impact and just hoof yeah, there, isn't there? Yeah, there was a big box that got smashed into. And you know what? Uh, we talked about Just for the Money. Like, and, you know, the guy not taking himself too seriously and all that. Like, the fucking verbiage they have this man doing. And you know he's been handed a, you know, a script and all that here. And he's like, you bring me back and you give me some sort of has-been legends deal. Uh-uh. I want to be in main events. And then Triple H's like, I guess I'm going to have to show him that he's not good enough anymore. And this is Kevin, Mash- Kevin Nash's last singles match in the WWE. And they do kind of air into greatly that the heel of this match is a bitter kind of ex-wrestler, but also a bit shit and nowhere near the level of Triple H, who is amazing. You know what else I don't understand is that he's referred to as Kevin Nash here despite being dressed as Diesel. Yeah. Who I thought was a different character. Like, okay, he comes back at the Rumble. I I, I remember I, I popped big time, even though I didn't watch Diesel as a kid, but seeing him in the all black, because I was used to him you know, being all grey and yeah. uh, Silver Fox and TNA, Grand or whatever. That's fine, fine. But if he is going to be Kevin Nash, why is he still doing the Just For Men thing, mm. you know? And this is the thing I was telling you about that is so perplexing. He asked if he could go go white, and Vince said no, because fans will only recognise you with the dark hair. And you go, okay, fine then. And then they had CM Punk make fun of him and say, ah, Just For Men, look at him with his stupid fucking black hair. And he goes, yeah. okay, Vince, I know someone we could actually get a sponsorship with Just For Men. <laughs> A little bit of business. Amazing. No, no, no. That will make us seem old and out of touch. No, it makes Vince feel old and out of touch because Vince dyes his hair. Do you think that the 55-year-old general age demographic of people who watch Monday Night Raw might be a little bit interested in Just For Men? I don't know. I think so. I mean, you don't need to go full catheter on them, but like, you know, you can dangle some of the stuff that's age appropriate, like. See, what a better counter argument is that it would actually make Just For Men look bad because the dye job on Kevin Nash is so appalling. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just for men would be like, nah. I'm just saying, right? And this is from one Kevin to another, mm. okay? I have in the past just erroneously claimed that he's in the ranch despite not asking him. I'm just assuming. Mm. But I will say right now, we've been through lockdowns and pandemics and all that, this, that, and the other. I'm confident I, if you want to do a run as Diesel, Big Sexy, I'm confident I could do a better die job than whoever did that. Yeah. I can, I can do it. I know yeah, I can. You can. You've, you've bleached hair before. I've so. bleached Joe's hair. I've coloured it. We've layered. 
I'm pretty much good to go. Yeah. Look at that fucking one. He dipped his head in a bucket of paint, yeah, Joe. It was ridiculous. It was shocking. Unbelievable. And <laughs> this was the point in the match where we then had to switch from using the WWE Network award-winning nine pay for nine ninety-nine a month, and I went onto this new platform, which I feel like was a lot more agreeable and actually would let me watch this match because they kept freezing and glitching and kicking me off the app. So I had to go into this new thing called YouTube and watch this for free instead, which I can only assume that if I was going to recommend you watch this match, this is the way you should do it. But on YouTube, WWE have edited this match so that every time anyone gets remotely hit by the sledgehammer or even like not the sledgehammer, like the ladder. any weapon. Yeah. yeah, anything to the head. They cut it so that it feels like you've dropped frames so you don't actually see the impact do you want to know something fun what every time i watched smackdown as a kid growing up they would do that for every single weapon shot <laughs> every time that happened or they would cut to the crowd someone going way and they cut back then so annoying. like the idea that like if you cut away, we at home wouldn't hit each other with folding chairs. Yeah. We, we still did. They get around that now by just zooming in really close on a wrestler's face when any move happens. <laughs> so you can't see the move and therefore you can't copy it at home. There was a moment really like right at the start of the match where they locked up and Triple H kind of shoved Nash back a little bit. And Nash's feet literally went like roller skates. Oh god! Like it literally looked like it was a newborn giraffe or oh. something like that. And I thought, oh fuck, he's going to slip. He's going to fucking fall and hurt himself here. Which, uh, yeah, was... Um, that was the main kind of investment I had in this match. Was I was genuinely worried for Kevin Nash at this point mm. and where he was at and all that. Um, the two guys kind of slowly plod about. One guy's yeah. legs don't work. The other guy is so packed on full of muscle the kind of the joints of his body don't really work. They're so. literally like doing nothing and they both seem so tired. And meanwhile on commentary they're like oh, an they're explosion bad. of emotion here. Yeah, they, Nothing's happening. They keep saying like anytime Triple H does anything it's like onto his best friend. Oh, his, <laughs> his best friend breaking his legs with knees and ladders. And again like Nash isn't in control in this one but he's the heel. But I don't think he could be in control in this one because mm. you don't think he has enough yeah in him almost so triple h is just slowly kind of going around and i've never watched a match where i felt bad for someone in both real life and in kayfabe at the exact same time yeah but i was here this is the duality of kevin nash wrestling in 2011 i think this was around halfway through the match nash's hair starts to get very frizzy Oh, he... And he begins to look like Mickey Rourke. Oh, it's bad. Like the dye, I think it's because of the dye. You can mm. see, and let's say he has a bald spot, but the hair that he has is now so dark. Like yeah. light cannot pen. It's like he's got ray tracing on his dye job or yeah. something like that. Or like an OLED screen instead of a fucking <laughs> scalp. Because you can really see every bit lit up like yeah. absolutely perfectly. And yeah, it uh, made me feel even worse. And then Triple H put him in a figure four leg lock in a ladder, which made me genuinely go, it made me scream. I, I didn't think it would happen. Yeah. It was like 12 years after the last figure four I saw him put in. I wasn't ready for it, Joe. But as this is happening, Michael Cole goes, you know... Kevin Nash may be hurting now, King, but Triple H was very hurt by Kevin Nash and his actions. Yeah, his heart was hurt, so... Oh, my God. Go. The fucking silence. Yeah, the crowd are absolutely dead. So dead. It's really, really awkward. Like, like a yeah. genuinely awkward atmosphere. Yeah, because it's like... There is an awkward silence in the Nash-Goldberg match, but that's because people are expecting something to happen. Mm. But here, it's like everyone's come to a conclusion that nothing can happen. Yeah. So they just kind of sat there a little bit. When Nash, is, he's got to go for like a powerbomb to Triple H to the announce table. <laughs> and it's like Triple H is like, Yo! and does like the backdrop. And they just do a kind of, 
It's rolls on the, the table. Little roly poly. Oh. Thank you. I meant to go through that table. Also, that's impressive given that Nash is a big fucking guy. You're asking Triple H is strong. Here, yeah. Like it's one thing when Sasha Banks can't go through the, the announce table. She like weighs like a bag of flour. Yeah, grand. Kevin Nash is nearly seven foot tall. You'd think he could just sit on the thing and it would collapse. That shows you how gingerly he's yeah. landing here at the moment. So there's a point where Nash is on the offense. He throws Triple H into the ring and the fans get really excited because they think that the match is going to end now. But then <laughs> no. Nash gets out of sorts and then leaves the ring and then he comes back in. I just realized then at this point that they've given him a script for the match as well. I think a producer said, you do this, 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 this and this and he was out of position. So yeah, they bring the ladder back into play. Nash looks like he's sleepwalking. <laughs> Like, he's just slowly wandering around. The way he like, grabs items and stuff. Yeah, yeah like, like, with his eyes half open. He's like, wake up, he's got a table. Yeah, like, and it's like, like, what shh, don't wake him up. Don't worry, it's really, it's really dangerous to wake someone up when they're sleepwalking. Don't wake him up. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin, put that ladder that, down. Is that way when the crowd is so quiet? Yeah, because they don't want to wake him up. Like, Come on, t- back to bed. No, put the ladder down. No. The best part of this match was when Nash popped the straps down. I was like... Big man, look at them fucking pecs. Kevin, no, look at them put shoulders. Your back on. Come on, but back to bed, Kevin. As Steve Austin would say, God damn, he's the human torso. <laughs> look at that thing. He kept it. It's an upper body business, as Rick Rude said. He looked fucking immaculate. Spot of the night. Both men very, very slowly climb a ladder, mm. and Kevin Nash goes through a table off the top of the ladder, but only after Triple H grabs the the end of the hammer as it's on the kind of housing and he swings it and he swings it he, he makes it swing by his head and he bops him and he falls and um i was just a bit confused joe did that count as retrieving it you're you're the sledgehammer expert on this show now we've realized joe Am I? yeah don't you you went on this diatribe i think oh was, i had to correctly yeah, use the sledgehammer on pay-per-view classic you went in in-depth about the means and methods that one should use a sledgehammer. Well, that certainly isn't a correct use of a sledgehammer, is you know when it's suspended from a ceiling. Yeah, like take that. it out of its housing first, right? Yeah. I think Triple H should have been disqualified because he didn't actually retrieve the hammer, is what I'm saying. Here. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So he falls through his off the ladder through a table, and then he has the look of a man who's just been woken from a sleepwalk, like he's yeah. really shook. I told he, you it was dangerous. You shouldn't do it. He does the Wolfpack sign, which was like the sign of you know the click mm. and you know it too sweet, which was the catchphrase you know was from the Wolfpack in in WCW, and it's to hold up and show his camaraderie. The actual origin of the Wolfpack sign is that it actually looked it's meant to look like a little wolf, and according to Bret Hart, anyway, when they were on uh, a tour of of uh, Europe in the Middle East, they would stop by Turkey. And apparently some gangster guy that they met there one of the nights in one of the clubs, he kept doing that symbol and it's like, oh, it's what the Turkish Mafia do. Oh, shit. It's, it, it's meant to be like a lone wolf because it actually, if you look at it, it looks a little bit like a wolf. Right. And they're like, that's the fucking... Like, oh my God. Brett says that's the cool... You know, Brett, in his version, it's like, I told them and in their version, it's like, we saw that and we thought it was right, the coolest of thing. Course. But like the idea, like he's there, he's holding it up and Triple H gives him the suck it and Cole says, yeah, Triple H says, to hell with the click. And Triple H <laughs> wins and and he he this is of course after as well the crowd chat one more time mm. and because kevin can't be given another pedigree he no. hits him with the hammer again instead which was one of the most miserable long drawn out i shouldn't feel bad for the baddie this much and the triple feel H- bad for me oh I you feel bad for you this you're much. to watch it joe how'd you get on was it better or worse 
than the Goldberg Nash encounter. It was worse. It, it was, was worse. Much worse. Where would you rank this in ladder matches and matches you have generally seen? Well, I don't know. One of the worst, definitely down there. Yeah. Maybe even worse than Vince versus Shane. Well, hey, no, okay, okay, fine, fine. You have your controversial opinions and all that. Like. Well, you think this is better than Vince versus Shane? No, Shane versus Vince <laughs> is one of the best fucking matches. God damn it. Okay. So, <laughs> what star rating did uh, did you get for this then? No stars. No this stars. Is such a crap match. Why is every Triple H match like this? I, every single Triple H match I've ever seen has been exactly like this match. What do you mean like this? What, what are the Shit. tropes? Shit. Shit. <laughs> Bad. Boring. Not good. Disappointing. Um... I think of other synonyms. Moribund. Yes. Moribund. <laughs> I'm quite moribund. You're quite moribund after right, that. Right, yeah. I'm ornery. Oh, honey. But look, look, he ended at least, in his mind, I guess it was a high because if you're going to have one last match, you know, this was very much, I think he went through the motions here. He got the payday. I think it was at this point, it's like, right, no more, no more big matches. I think he showed up for like, one spot at a Royal Rumble. You know, he did a few bits here and there since, you know, showing up and all that. But where Nash really kind of got his longevity, you know, and it was happening long before this, it was on those shoot interviews. It was on the marketability. He knew better than anyone. I think anyone has ever known this and not had someone like figure it out for them about it. Like I could just go sit down two hours, three hours, have a glass of wine, talk shit. <laughs> Eat some ravioli. Like, we watched a few of them, and the energy level is fucking all over the place. There's yeah. times where he's genuinely pissed off, and he's like, I'm here to settle some scores. Yes. Yeah. The one where it's him and Xbox talking about, like, fucking Wade Barrett's wife, because they're fucking it outlaws, like he literally man. just agreed to do that to hang out with Xbox, like he hadn't seen his friend for a while, and he realised this would be a good chance to catch up and shoot the shit. <laughs> one of the earliest things I showed Joe, of course, was him eating the ravioli yes which someone else by the way sent me a super cut of him eating the ravioli and it is so funny oh it's just the food bits it's just the food bits palming the olives olives, yeah and so then like you only hear like him say a a couple of bits and it's like it's it's the suck of air the suck of air him talking about hot women and him saying that in his opinion like the only wrestling show that should be on television is is the kelly kelly show and it should be kelly kelly in slow motion It's literally just him drinking wine, eating ravioli, and talking about babes. Someone sent me a clip. It was, um, it was actually Brody. Rest in peace. Uh, it was him talking about the one time he met Kevin Nash, and it was literally just like you know, <laughs> him talking about what they were going to do in the match, and you know, he was like, kind of, do you want to do a jackknife? And he's like. I don't think we'll be doing that. That's all right. We'll do a hot tag, but we don't need to do that. And the guy kind of like, do you want to come back for the show tomorrow? Nah, nah I think we're all right. And he's literally like, you know, as as the, the show was ending, you know, there was an escort there to meet him and he was off to like, you know, a nice restaurant across the road and all that. Like, and Brody was basically just like kind of, that man knows how to live. Like, yeah. you know, he, he has figured out this life on the road, whatever it may be. You know, he, he settled into a nice groove in his later years. And I think... That match was probably... He remembers that match with Triple H as much as probably the random-ass match where he had a fucking big bowl of ravioli and agreed to do a shoot interview before his bus came or whatever it was. <laughs> you know, he 
he figured out a ride that suited his his means and he probably had a career that was legitimately twice as long as it, he probably intended it to be mm-hmm. as a result i don't think he intended on being you know in a you know, gray hair wrestling tna you know in 2010 and stuff like that but he was um triple h said at the end of their documentary that the big daddy cool the i don't really care that kind of aloof persona it's all put on and that inside there is someone who cares deeply about his friends his peers and the wrestling business and ultimately the wwe one what's best for them and he respects vince greatly and it's all kind of a front the cool guy persona the real kevin nash we don't actually know the real kevin nash actually cares quite a lot Hmm. nice words from a friend to end off a shit documentary or do you think there is something to that that this is kind of like almost like an armor that kevin nash wears i do think it's put on to an extent i think it's exaggerated Mm. in the way that any successful wrestler exaggerates their own personality to get across yeah yeah Yeah. so i think that i think genuinely he is a very cool guy i don't think i i don't think you can just imagine up coolness like that that's either something you have or you don't have and like but, to, to, to kind of tease that apart a little bit more because i do remember you said like when we did the ultimate warrior episode that you were like you know the look or the gimmick or whatever it's like it's exciting and all that but it wasn't for you and you didn't want to see him or the matches or anything like that i think we've established that kevin nash matches aren't necessarily your favorite brand but like did he entertain you as a performer you say cool would that mean you'd want to watch kevin nash interviews or promos or stuff like that i definitely would be down for seeing like promos anything where he gets to be a horrid nasty heel Mm. with his friends i'm interested in seeing i'd love him as an authority figure i have no (laughs) interest at all in seeing any of his matches ever again no thank you is he like the lowest down in terms of like match quality and stuff like yeah, that yeah he's lower even than hulk hogan really yeah. fuck me because at least with hulk hogan the fans love him right you've seen a lot of, i mean i feel it's fair because we've watched a lot of like him in like the best possible scenarios we yeah. watched him with sean we watched him with brett fucking twice yeah we watched him as champion at no, big he's, events he's not I, we watched him in a special match he booked for himself. Like, come on. Like. I know, he's either not a good wrestler or not not for me, but either way, I, I don't like his wrestling. I would leave it kind of open because in the sense that, like, I think I think you've kind of come to the point where, like, you can't have what I have, which is, like, a long time of, like, viewing him one way and then being kind of gently surprised. Mm. You've kind of, I think you've got a very holistic top-down look at Nash, and I don't think you'll ever want to see those matches. But hey, if you at home think, like, hey, we completely missed the mark here, and there's some really great, big, sexy Kevin Nash matches, keeping in mind what we've seen on Pay-Per-View Classic, I would, you know, love to hear it, you mm. know. It would be interesting to see if we could win Joe over, but it feels like... Like, does he more... Does he make up for it with the other stuff? Like, does he does he even need to be a good wrestler? No, no. Well, so, okay. So I believe that in a balanced wrestling show, there is space for someone like him. Okay. Like, you don't have to... Be, you know, it doesn't have to just be everyone trying hard all the time and being really good at actual athletic wrestling because you don't necessarily want to see that all the time. It doesn't make for a very balanced show. Yeah. You know, my favourite thing about Kevin Nash is his little comedy segments like and stuff like that, and he's very, very good at that. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he knows how to to weave a nice little story and that extends i think to like you know his twitter game and stuff like that recently like again finger on the pulse i was kind of saying to you like i feel like he's like not in a bad way but like he's kind of a bit of a shapeshifter and that he kind of realizes 
you know, he, he knows what the world is like. I think he's very observant. And I think he kind of... I don't say he's like playing a part or all that, but like, you know, we found an interview clip of him talking about the Hogan N-word uh, incident from like, you know, five or six years ago. Nash's thoughts from five or six years ago. And compare that to what he would probably say about it now. Mm, I hope. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Nash was admitted to using the N-word himself like in day-to-day life all the time in the interview that we watched and with him. he said, them. therefore, it's fine that Hogan used it to refer to a black man. Yeah, and I kind of, I feel like I've maybe fallen into the spell a little bit sometimes of being like, no more than the rest and where like my expectations are so low and you know big daddy cool comes out with a vaguely political tweet that i agree with i'm like yeah good on you kevin ash fucking yeah 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 it's funny you say that because he has a reputation of being like big daddy woke yeah which i don't think is fair i mean you thought that i think when we started it but i think once we got to shoot interview like once we started looking at which wrestlers are dicks and hoe bags and stuff like that that went yeah, by the wayside just that but like i i went on his twitter and i had a look at the sort of things that he talks about and his politics and stuff he's a centrist democrat he supports biden he, i mean like if you if you hate like, he's, he's not woke like yeah like I, to me i i hate the term woke anyway but for that definition in my mind means you are a leftist like a, a democrat maybe but a leftist democrat absolutely yeah and to be a democrat but a centrist democrat that's like that to me doesn't align with the values of uh, woke inverted commas well, i guess when the other guy was in the white house who we also did an episode on yeah. probably that seemed a lot more you know radical seeming by comparison you i know? think that's it because he was one of the few wrestlers that actually spoke out against donald trump yeah um whereas a lot of wrestlers either just shut up or were pro-trump <laughs> my, my my efforts to not mention his name went completely <laughs> i'm sorry i'm gonna mention his name i don't want to skirt around it um <laughs> But yeah, I, I, back onto the, the subject of whether or not he's putting on this whole cool thing. Yeah. I think one thing that I would say about that is I think when it comes to the backstage politics, I do think there's an element of that that he puts on mm. because I think he realises that in the industry of professional wrestling, you know, there's, a, there's a few different ways you can handle like stress yes. or conflict in wrestling. Yeah. And you know, there's Bret Hart's attitude of sulking which it doesn't go down very well with the other boys or there's the type of aggressive attitude of like, right, I'll pick a fight with you then and I'll mm. beat you up. Yeah. And I think Kevin Nash's attitude was more like, ah, if I just pretend it doesn't bother me and I pretend I'm above it. It's kind of like a, it's a similar attitude you might get told if you're being bullied at school or if you want to just get yeah. on with kids who are not very nice. You just like, you kind of go along with it, but I mean, you don't. And it's like, the trouble is it's quite cowardly to do that, I think, because mm, it okay. means that you let bad behavior go unchecked. Yeah. Which is why then you have people like Shawn Michaels I being guess a fucking prick. <laughs> his, his argument is going to be like, you know, kind of what role is it of mine? Exactly. You know, and I think there's two things about that that'll always kind of draw my attention, which is number one, when Scott Hall was going through all of his problems, I always thought it was quite unfair that people were turning to Kevin Ash going, well... What are you going to do about it to do then, as then? his father? And he's like, well, what do you want me to do? I've bought a black suit because I think he might die soon. Yeah. But, like, it's sad. Like, But, like, he's a, he's a grown-ass adult. Like, it's not my responsibility. Yeah. But the other thing as well is that, you know, people might not realise this the way you've been talking about him. Marriage of over 30 years, Kevin Nash. That, to me, was the biggest swerve. Your jaw hit the floor, this yeah. this whole episode. Because the whole time we were doing all this research, I was thinking, yeah, he probably, Party, like. probably has a wife somewhere. But, like, I can't imagine they're super happy or, like, they've been together very long. I, I kind of thought... He'd be a bit like Rob Van Dam, and maybe like he had a he had a long suffering wife, and then he got with someone younger in his later years. But no, he's been with the same woman for longer than he's been a professional wrestler. But that's the thing about Nash is that Nash is like he's actually for someone who's quite a shapeshifter. 
I don't want to use the word kind of in, in terms of a sense of admiration, but like principled in the sense that it's obvious that he has these rules and stuff for himself. Mm. And, you know, that extended to there were certain drugs and certain things that he wouldn't do in wrestling and while he was partying and all of that. The man still has his code. Ex- he had this Nash code. And, you know, the little I've heard him talk about his wife, other than they seem very, very happy together and all of that, was that it was like either Hall or Sean or someone like that in the clique was like, Hey, why don't we, uh, you know, get the wives together this weekend? And he was like, you want our wives to get together and talk about us and what we do when we're away? Do you all want that? Which, that says a lot to me. That's like, in terms of both how cunning he is and also how fucking shady. Well, I mean, mean, in fairness, you know, if Scott Hall's wife sat down and chatted with Shawn Michaels' wife in 1996 and they started telling tales or whatever... Yeah, probably it was going to end in tears for someone. Do you know you what know? else I think? But, but the thing is, it worked though. He's still fucking married, right? Do you know what else I think though? What? I think Vince told him that. <laughs> I think Vince said, keep the wives away from each other. It would then damage the clique, which then encouraged the efforts to like unionize at the WWF. Seriously, it's, if they yeah. had talked, communicated. Yeah, it's very true. It's very true. Much it, it, more likely that would have happened if they had met up. Kevin Nash, to this day, the only person I know who was invited to Vince McMahon's house for a meeting about becoming world champion, fell asleep on the couch and still left that meeting becoming world heavyweight champion. <laughs> Why don't we have a look at your tweets about big sexy Kevin Nash Diesel. First up from Tristan M. Carroll. Hey, Tristan. Over on Twitter at HowToWrestling. Kevin Nash might be the coolest man alive, maybe. He's Orange Cassidy's gimmick, but in real life. (laughs) A cool guy trying exactly as hard as he needs to and never any harder. Do you think that Nash saw Orange throwing them lo-fi kicks and thinking, God damn it, man. I do think... I should have done that. I do think Orange Cassidy would have looked at Kevin Nash and gone, right, there's a place for someone who is handsome and does very little. Yeah. We don't want someone doing the, all the, the moves all the time. Sometimes people just want to bring it down <laughs> and just just take it slow. You and there what? is a place for that. Big match Tony Khan if you're going to bring in Kevin Nash for a shot. He'd be great. And what they should do That's is like do. literally give him a role in like those those like segments, those like backstage bits, the, the little, promotional little paparazzi stuff. productions yeah, again. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. Make, make the A-level media stuff feel like... An actual fucking funny sketch show. Hot question for you. Would you want Kevin Nash in your training school teaching wrestlers? What company am I working for? (laughs) It could be anywhere. Say we're we're, we're a big ticket company. Like we've got got training capacity, let's just say. Not not coming in for a seminar. I'm saying like... Is, is, this, what, is this the how-to wrestling training school? How to, where we where we've seem to have hired quite a litany of great talkers right. and Tajiris there as well. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure and all that. But like, is what he has to offer younger talent so pivotal that we should do it, or is the poisonous side of us that we've skirted around that wrestling has moved past? Is that such a danger that maybe actually people don't need to hear from self-centered, lazy Kevin Nash, or should they hear from evocative? intelligent genre pushing smart man get the pay that you earn you know mm. type of man like you know, I know i think he owes it to the next generation of wrestlers considering he pulled the ladder up so much from under from like behind him mm. i think he owes it to the industry to to give back something in terms of um 
character development, not wrestling. No wrestling. He should stay well away from wrestling what? training because he could, he's not very good. He could tell. What? Didn't you remember that match we watched where all the new blood came out and he just kicked them and the referee just started counting one, two, three, even though he didn't pin them and they were like, count that man out. He's so good at wrestling. He's almost too good, I'd say. But definitely like the character work, the the comedy timing because yeah. so many wrestlers, especially that, now, yeah. think they're the funniest fucking thing because they've watched like an episode of Tim and Eric or something. Like, <laughs> And they suddenly think they're like hilarious or like because they have banter with their friends. And like he's genuinely funny without trying. Yeah. He has that skill of like dialing it back, which is like, it's that's so hard. And I think so many people ruin comedy by trying too hard and just makes it cringy. He doesn't have that. So I think that and also contract negotiations and just like talking with your fellow wrestler to understand and negotiate better pay for everyone yeah. I, I think that the, it needs to be it's almost like dark arts of wrestling isn't yeah. it like to an extent some of it or exactly. at least it would be considered by WWE they wouldn't have him teaching in the performance center how to fucking negotiate no! your contract well, actually we think it'd be good if you uh, Braun Breaker did, did your own contract it's good experience for you, you know? <laughs> I said the same thing to your father but he wouldn't listen <laughs> Right, next up from Refs as Wizards. I don't know much about the man, but I'm sure his career has its share of highs and Merlots. Whey! Whatever you think of him, his longevity has proven all the Cabernet Sayers wrong. Fucking brilliant. Uh, let me tell you, uh, that was the only episode of Broken Skull Sessions Joe and I have ever watched that had multiple red wine breaks yeah. and, and brow moppings. <laughs> Could have been related. Who knows? Next up from Tyler TMC. Very integral to how contracts are done in the modern world. He knew his value and always worked smarter, not harder. The best shoot interviewer of all time. Doesn't take him seriously, which is a rarity in wrestling. Everyone should learn from him. You know what? I think one thing that's definitely come from this, and I think he can join a very, very short group. I feel like... There's certain wrestlers who promos will be popped on YouTube when we're at a loose end, but he's going to join that hallowed hall, which also includes, I think, only maybe Bret Hart of type in wrestler's name and then literally any event in wrestling yeah. and you'll get an interview and you'll get an opinion. Well, you'll probably get a lie. <laughs> yeah, what? Like the Montreal Screwjob was a work, brother? Well, like, there's a video we watched where it was like, that. I can't remember what this channel's called, but it's like, it's a famous one on YouTube and you see all these wrestlers doing like, is so-and-so a dick? Yes, that's kayfabe commentary. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. And he was asked about like, God knows how many people. And he was like, yeah, I love Vince McMahon. Cool. He's a cool bro. Cool. Yeah, I love Triple He's not a legend's deal. Cool bro. Yeah, I love Hulk Hogan. He's, he's the nicest guy. You don't trust anyone who says that they get on with everyone, basically. Is what well, he said me. he got on with everyone except for Dusty Rhodes. Because he made him into the Oz gimmick. And that's what I don't trust. It's fine if you get on with everyone, because some people do. Yeah. But if you get on with everyone except for one person who made you kind of into a slight joke for like less than a year yeah in fairness like i had a lot of like subconscious eye rolls when we went through that list as well because like i know you don't like that person just like have some fucking i i I understand as well like not telling the truth about what your opinions are on hulk hogan and vince mcmahon because they're very powerful still in the industry and he's a he's a politician he's gonna go out for himself that's fine but like at least be more clever about it so you you, you were expecting him to be a little bit more savvy and outspoken yeah like if you're gonna say oh i really like vince mcmahon or i really like hulk hogan you go 
you know, of course they're, you know, they're not without their share of controversy and, you know, they've got all these, these problems, but, you know, in my experience, I really like them because of this, mm. but he didn't say that. He was like, yeah, he's, he's the best guy. Cool. Vince McMahon is the such a cool bro. He's the coolest. <laughs> he's so chill. Everyone loves him. <laughs> Shut up. You are just lying now. Oh my God. This is so fun. You know, it's so interesting. I was like, at the start, even at the point at the start of the episode, I was convinced you'd just, you'd fall in love with this guy. And he'd I know, like, but no, I don't trust him. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's like, it. Yeah. He reminds me of my self at my worst like like i feel like he's what i used to be like when i was like in school and right stuff. I see, like, yeah just like saying what people want to hear because he knows that it'll get him over and that people will think he's cool and that if he pretends he's like unaffected by stuff and he who cares less is the coolest guy and yeah but like, you were on top of that territory for three years joe yeah, come on i've been there <laughs> and you know what the thing is i think it's a coward's game because yeah. it's easy and that's why i admire people like bret hart because that's the hard shit yeah. is to be cool even when you're being honest with yeah. yourself and everyone else that's admirable next tweet from will is also young like the fine wine he enjoys, Kevin Nash gets better with age. <laughs> Bemoaned in his time for doing seemingly little, I see him now as a master at getting the most out of doing the least. He's funny, handsome, cool, and his entrance themes are amazing. I love Big Sexy! Yeah, well, he's definitely he's a, he's like a black coffee of a wrestler. He's a required taste. You'll appreciate him when you're older, guys, okay? <laughs> now from Not John Brown, I once saw a tweet that read something to the effect of, Kevin Nash realised that if he worked 80% harder, he may have been paid 8% more. And I think that beautifully encompasses his whole career. <laughs> you know what? I don't think I've seen a single bit of footage or hear him talk about watching or liking wrestling before he got into it. And I think that's a big difference, isn't it? With like all the wrestlers, particularly like Brett and Razor and all that we mentioned at the start, those who are the big fans will always give themselves a a lot more or hold themselves to a higher standard or like kind of work work more or be convinced to work more a lot readily than those who are coming from that outsider perspective yeah for sure finally now from s jarcade i would say kevin nash gets lucky in the eyes of history because everyone sees hulk hogan as the worst and most selfish guy <laughs> Kevin Nash never helped a single human in the business and actively hurt at least three companies in his selfishness. And he's a worse wrestler than Hulk. I mean, yeah, I mean, you've got a point there. I'm really glad because it was actually, it was quite hard to find. There were only a few people who said, no, I'm not a fan of Kevin Nash. Actually. Well, I, most I, people do really, even though they will admit he's not a great wrestler, most people do yeah, love him. But like, I'm kind of like, he's, he's... I think wrestlers, and it's certainly, you know, we look back on previous episodes of, of this show, wrestlers definitely have their ebbs and flows in terms of their popularity. And when you're kind of someone who's still on Twitter and public facing. Oh yeah, he's so cool, even yeah. today. Like the oh, fact yeah. that he's in like John Wick and Magic Mike and, you know, he's on Twitter talking about like these quite controversial things and he's like got these quips and stuff. And like... you know what? Him getting his knee sorted and, you know, being a, a spokesperson for like yeah. that, that therapy, stem cell therapy really that he good. used and all that, you know, I am very happy for him. Mm. But I think a lot of that is like, I'll admit, I have been very slowly, very slowly, charmed by Kevin Nash over the mm. years. And I say the one thing that's very difficult for me as a, as a wrestling fan of so many years is that if there's someone who I've slowly come around to, it's not like, oh, I won't hear a bad word against them. But I always kind of view it as in like, yeah, I see that because I used to think that, but yeah. I kind of don't think that anymore. But I absolutely do see why you say that. I mean, I'd go as far as to say I agree with almost everything you said in that tweet there. Yeah. You know? I mean, that is pretty much what I said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Is he the... Is he like the most controversial person we've had no, in that sense? No, 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 no. No way. I mean, he's fine. But he's unique. 
You know, I think he, he stands out he's, as a politician he's in his own right. I think because he's just aged so well. Mm. He's very clever in that he's he's got his finger on the zeitgeist or whatever you'd say. Like, he understands I, what's There's not that many funny cool. wrestlers. There's well, not, and there's not know? that many cool wrestlers Yeah, you know, I was going to say, old, like, old guys from that old generation who are funny. Yeah. Like, Sean and Triple H, if they try and make me laugh, Jesus Christ, it's like fucking great in my teeth. Like. That's the thing, where it's like... You know, it's really cringy, I guess, for most wrestlers to say stuff on Twitter. But, like, Kevin Nash is one of the few people who actually does come out with these cool lines. Like, there were a couple of instances of people being like, oh, you should stop talking about politics. Like, you've clearly got, like, CTE. He's called people soy boys and stuff like that. He was like, like, I wake up with a massive hog hard on every morning and I crank it out. It shows I'm still young. And I go to bed every night with that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's his go-to insult is, like, I've got a big rock hard dick. Well, I mean, I'm, that's... I'm really young for my age because of this dick. Well, you know, that's probably better than why don't go around your house and I'll fucking dog fuck your yeah, wife. Exactly. Oh, the first time she ever came, man. <laughs> I do hope he's growing. I hope this isn't just a case of him, like, putting on a different, like, this is the, disguise. Yeah, Nash 10.0 or whatever. Yeah, I hope it is a case that, like, you know, throughout time he has evolved and changed and grown. Like that that instance with the Montreal screw job where he said it was a joke. And then like he, you found him tweeting about it going like I was just joking. He called up Brett yeah. afterwards because Brett found out about it and didn't he was like he was interviewed on it for like inside the ropes or something and he like he called Kevin Nash out and was like, Yeah, you're a piece of shit, Kevin Nash. And Kevin Nash immediately called him and was like, Bro, it was a joke. I'm really sorry. It's like, okay, it wasn't though, was it? Or if it was, it wasn't very clearly a joke. Like no one thought it was a joke. I think the one thing I would really like to see from Kevin Nash is someone do like a Kevin Nash reacts to style video where you have to sit him down and watch all them shoot interviews that he does. <laughs> and I want to see if he cringes or if yeah. he goes, oh, fucking boy. I think he'd just laugh at them. Be like, it's just a joke. Yeah, I it's mean, I, I would just love to know what his thoughts are on this. It's very, very interesting. I'm so happy that we finally got to talk about big, sexy Kevin Nash. Someone <laughs> who very much was the, I don't know how to say eyes bigger than your stomach, but you were so excited to do him and yeah. I to do this episode about him and learn about him. I think this is one of the cases of the more you learned about him, the more complicated the feelings became about him. I am worried I've come out of this episode seeming like I don't like Kevin Nash. And that's not true. I really, really do like him as yeah. a performer. I, th- I, I admire a lot about him. He's clearly very intelligent. The, the psychology of wrestling is something he really has thought about and understands. And he has given a lot to this business. It's just, I don't trust him as a person. Yeah. If I knew him in real life, I I would I would never tell him any of my secrets. <laughs> I would never give him any position of power over me. I just would not. I don't trust him. Oh, wow. That's so interesting. God. I don't know. Like game recognized yeah. game. <laughs> <laughs> well, our next episode is one that is very much anticipated. Possibly one of the most anticipated episodes of all time. And there was always a small part of me inside that was like, we can't do this episode until, you know, you know, you know, we can't do it until... Our next episode is How to CM Punk, who has returned to the world of wrestling, or the world of wrestling has returned to him, however he wants to put it. We're going to learn about someone who has been, honestly, the butt of a few jokes in this podcast in its early days. I'm going to finally learn about the poo in the ring. You're going to learn all about the pipe bomb. You're going to learn about the summer of punk in Ring of Honor and in WWE. We're going to learn about the rise and the fall and one of the most kind of Honestly, mind-blowing fallings out a wrestler has had with a company in modern times. His return to wrestling and everything that came in between. It's going to be a very interesting story because it's going to weave in a lot of the narratives from other episodes kind of in together. We're going to be touching on some of those kind of 
rough and ready indie days that we talked about with like Samoa Joe and Cole Cabana and Brian Danielson, where they were going to be getting into the likes of the ECW relaunch. We're going to be talking about getting onto the main roster, working with big, big stars like Jericho and The Rock and how it can kind of almost encapsulate how frustrating the WWE experience can be if you are a very passionate performer. He's honestly someone who I kind of have worried about doing an episode at the point because I've given off vibes about him in the last few years and I had a lot of very strong opinions about this man. I don't know where I'm at yet entirely at the moment. I'm certainly very happy that he's back and I'm really excited to talk to you. I think I will need to re-listen to some old episodes and just kind of feel like, what was it? You know, what was my thought process back then? Where am I at? Yeah. Because I don't want this to be an episode where it's just, he's come back and we're all happy and that's the only point of it. I think there are so many lessons and so many bits of history that we'll find out by examining the career and the life and basically the person that is CM Punk, Phil Brooks. It's going to be our next episode. Are you excited? Kind of. I, I'm more... I'm actually more nervous, I think, than anything yeah. else. I know there's people who are basically, no matter what we say, are going to be like, fuck this and throw whatever they're listening to the podcast out the window. Yeah, I am a bit worried. I probably a will lightning say, bolt type of a wrestler. Like, yeah, yeah, like just if you don't like any criticism towards him. And I know some people are like that and that's absolutely fine. Oh, they'll be, but like we criticize everyone. This I know, show. Like, but I know, know that CM sometimes Punk not fans, enough. they've had it tough. Oh yeah. And also some of them are especially sensitive about it because of what's happened with his oh, career. Yeah. That's not just to say I won't like him. I probably will, but... Oh, like I'm trying to approach this as like, like if you're someone who's listened to a previous podcast I've done and I've made like, you know, drop jokes about We are going to make fun of him. But like, if you've been mad offended by that or anything like that, I, I am sorry. I genuinely am sorry if I've offended any fan by comments or jokes or japes that I've made. I do want to go in depth on this. And also, and like, if, you, you know, if you're a true believer, I want to hear from yeah, you, you know? And, and there are lots of people out there who fucking hate his guts for various reasons. And I should say, you know, he's a, he's a wrestler who I'm going to endeavor to show you the appeal of, but I've said it before and I'll say it again. He was never my guy. He was never my hero. He was never my favorite wrestler, you know. And I understand if you're listening at home, he might have been that. I know he's a very important role model and he's a very important figure for a lot of people. And that's why I'm extending the olive branch and asking if you're someone who has felt that way about CM Punk and he is a very special performer for you for stuff that's happened in or out of the ring, please let us know your thoughts, your feelings, emotions, stories about CM Punk, important moments we need to see, important matchups, and important promos, because this is another master of the mic that we'll be dealing with. Use the hashtag, HowToCMPunk. I cannot wait to see the artwork that Dan does for this one. I am so excited. But hey, everyone who contributed to the as complex an episode as it is about the man himself, thank you everyone who's joined in the conversation for how to kevin nash make sure you check out howtowrestling.com for any all updates about episodes coming up all the match listings and additional bonus viewing is up there as always for you to check out joe next time is going to be a big one we're going to drop a pipe bomb and not the one that you're thinking about the actual one instead which you'll we'll finally get to learn about until next time it's going to be a goodbye from me kevin and a goodbye from me joe and we'll see you next time on how to wrestling see ya